Smith's Falls. It is back to school. It's back to school time, folks. Are you getting some break from the kids? Are you? Because I'm not. Mine got sent home because she coughed at school. Them's the breaks. She's okay. Tested negative. Gotta be careful, right? It sucks, man. It sucks. I'm tired of this shit. Aren't we all, though? Aren't we all? Anyway. Anyway. I have much better things to talk about than that crap. Because today, I have Andrew Howard on the show. Andrew Howard. He is a Smith Falls born and raised person, businessman, lawyer, father of four girls. Four girls. What are you doing there, Andrew? What? Ah, one's enough for me. I got one girl, one boy. Four girls. Can't imagine how wonderful it must be. Anyway, listeners, if you don't know Andrew Howard, Andrew, like I mentioned, he is a lawyer over at Howard Kelford and Dubois. He actually helped me with my house when I moved to town. And coincidentally, I I moved in right around the corner from him. And and not before long, he was taking some his his daughters were taking piano lessons with with my wife Amber here at the Arts Hub in Smith Falls Music. And and then before I knew it, he was inviting me out skiing, just out of nowhere. Hey, you want to go skiing? Friendly, welcoming, Smith Falls enthusiast to the core. He loves this town, and he does a lot for this town. He was a volunteer firefighter, like I mentioned. He's people. He's helping people with their houses and and their other life legal issues, both positive and and negative in 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 a positive way. Great guy. Uh, he is also co-owner of Four Degrees Brewing, our one and only local brewer. And I drink their beer. I like their beer. It's yummy beer. And it is a beer that celebrates this town. So we're going to hear about that as well as his. Uh, he's got some stories from the time he spent away from town before making his homecoming. Anyway, you're going to hear all about it. So I'm going to stop talking about it and get to it. But first, we're going to hear a little Word about our sponsors. Back for episode seven of Smith's Falls On is Northwood Music. Northwood Music is a record label, and not any record label, but a local record label, a record label right here in Smith's Falls, featuring a lot of local artists. We got Amber McLean, we've got Matt and Grace, we've got Elmsley. A wonderful mix of acoustic, singer-songwriter, indie, folk, pop-type artists. Homegrown right here in Smith Falls. Go to northwoodmusic.ca and go to their store. Go to shop.northwoodmusic.ca or follow the shop link from their main website and you can get t-shirts. You can get t-shirts celebrating local artists. Wear them, advertise them, support them. northwoodmusic.ca. Find your new favorite artist there today, right now. And sponsor number two is the Arts Hub. The Arts Hub is at 14 Main Street West. And specifically, we are featuring the art of Peggy Schenk. Pegmeister Art, she is. That's her social media handle, artist handle, uh, avatar type name, Pegmeister Art, at Pegmeister Art. You've probably seen some of Peggy's drawings. She draws a lot of architecture and buildings, focuses a lot on on the towns around here, being from Perth herself. She's currently exhibiting at the Arts Hub. So if you need some new art for your house, particularly if if, if your space isn't big enough, 
that's that wall space isn't big enough for a for a big painting. Peggy does small drawings. They're very they're quaint and they're cute and they're, but they're still elegant and and just lovely and celebrating architecture not only in this town but there's some from Ottawa, some some from Montreal. You should go check her out on Instagram for a quick taste right now. Her handle is at pegmeister underscore art. And there you can read that she describes herself as a self-taught female artist in Perth, Ontario, designing postcards, house and storefront portraits in pen, ink and watercolor. Excellent description. Sums it up pretty well. Anyway, come check them out in person if you like what you see on our Instagram, because she is the current exhibit for September at the Arts Hub up on the wall on their on their gallery wall. So come in and get some art or see some art. It's exhibited for a reason. It's there for people to see. If, if you don't have a budget right now for some wall art, go down and check it out and then, you know, buy, uh, buy something else small while you're there. Support local. That is the theme of today's show, support local. And while I think all my guests are are on board with that mantra, I, I, I think that's especially true with Mr. Andrew Howard on the show today. So let's hear from him now. You can hear me and I can hear you. Sounds great. Yep. Excellent. Yeah, you're on a podcast. First time ever. Andrew Howard, Smith Falls born and raised. Exactly. Made in Smith's Falls. My favorite t-shirt ever. Yeah. You escaped for a little while. Yeah. You know, as uh, one does, you have to get out and see the world and, or, or at least parts of it. And when you left, did you think I'm definitely coming back? Or when you left, did you think, fuck this place, I'm gone? When I was 18, it was fuck this place, I'm gone. Yeah. You know, I was, I was out to do bigger and better things. I left for India for a year and I came back thinking I would never stay here. Uh I came back for a semester of high school and then went back to university or went to university. Yeah. You went to Montreal, McGill? McGill. Yeah. For my undergrad. Yeah. What was your undergrad? Industrial relations, a little bit of economics and sociology. Hmm. Nothing really practical. I really got Industrial, I've never even heard of that program. Industrial relations. Is that like? Workforce management, like union management. Okay. I got you. I got you. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm asking questions here in like the middle of the story. So you were, you were here to, I want to know the story. I kind of like half know it. Well, I've heard bits and pieces of it before. The the born and raised thing, you know, so I've lived or I lived in the same house my whole life, you know, starting when I was born until I was 18. Yeah. And then being from a small town, I wanted to see the world. And I, I mean, I loved Smith Falls, but I also had this kind of desire to leave and do something else and and see something different. So when I was 16, I I spent a couple months in France and that gave me kind of a, a desire to see more. Tu parles français? Oui, je parle français. Oh, excellent. Donc, quand j'étais... Bon, we, yeah, so I spent, we won't do the podcast in French. <laughs> we, won't, we won't embarrass ourselves that much. Good. Um, but then when I was about 18, I really wanted to, to see something else. Um, and there was this old Dutch guy. His name was Jan Skocking, and he ran the feed mill, which used to be on, uh, was it, Cornelia Street. Yeah. And it was this great thing, you know, all the local farmers bought their their grain and their, their feed from there. Mm-hmm. And he would sit there smoking his pipe, and he was a Rotarian. And um, I applied to the, do the Rotary Exchange, and so he was the guy who kind of brought me into the fold. And, you know, I had this, uh, what was it, I had a couple of interviews, and he effectively said, which countries do you want to go to? And I said, pretty much anything except for India. Hmm. And uh, when I was, when he was deciding where I was going to go, he, you know, he's like, let's, uh, let's see if this guy can meet the muster and, and go to India. Yeah. And, you know, as soon as he told me I'm going to India, I kind of sat there and said, fuck, you know, what? I'm going to India. Yeah. I'm, I'm a small white guy from 
a skinny white guy from, you know, Smith Falls, Ontario, what business do I have going to the middle of nowhere in India? Yeah. And it's not so middle of nowhere. It's, it's like I ended up going to a city of 500,000 people, but mm-hmm. I was the only white guy there. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know this and I, you know, I was terrified. You leave Smith Falls, you know, the furthest place you've been abroad is France. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke French. I'd been in England. I spoke English. Um, and suddenly I'm going to a country where I don't know anything. You know, you're sitting there as an 18 year old on the plane, just sitting there like, what have I done to myself? I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be living with a family. I've never met them. I have no idea as to what my life is going to be like there. And I can just remember kind of the day that I, I left up until that day. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to India. That's pretty cool. And then I got on the plane and I sat there like shitting myself for the next, you know, 36 hours until I got there. And then, yeah. And uh, when we landed, there was a thud. The plane stopped working. So they ended up dragging us in. So you're sitting in this, this plane. It's now like 35 degrees and humid. I'm sweating. You know, here I am, this 18 year old skinny kid wearing this like little red rotary jacket to show that I'm from Canada. <laughs> and uh, my host family was there to pick me up. And then, you know, you're like, okay, suddenly you're, you're going through the streets of Bombay. You know, there's chicken farms in the middle of Bombay, people sleeping on the streets. You're like, shit, this is, this is for real. Mm-hmm. The next morning I woke up, actually I didn't ever wake up because I didn't go to sleep because I was just petrified now. As the city woke around me, I I sat there sitting, figuring out that I was going to leave. You know, I was going to, I was going to make it for two or three months. And then I was going to go back to high school and graduate with all my friends Mm -hmm. and call my parents and said, listen, you know, this is, this has been a great trip so far. I'm ready to take a plane in November, come home and, you know, get myself reacclimated and finish the second semester and go to university the following year. But then I took a 12-hour train ride to the city that I was going to, which was a place called Amrauti. Sorry, what was it called? Amrauti. Amrauti. So it's in the middle of India, um, not far from a city called Nagpur, but it's a city of 500,000 people, and I was the only like white person in the city. And so having traveled there on the train, I was petrified. I never stayed on a sleeper train. And so this is day number two where I haven't slept. I'm in a sleeping car with seven other people. I don't know any of them. People everywhere. You know, it it's just a random day and it's like Canada day in Ottawa. There's mm-hmm. so many people everywhere. Yeah. Did they have people like on the train? Not on these ones. I mean, this was a pretty large train. Most of the trains in India are actually electric trains. Okay. See, if you're on top, you'd, you'd probably get, you know, electrocuted. Right. Um, I, later on in the year, I was on trains where there, there weren't electric trains. There were diesel trains. Yeah. And you would see people on the trains and people would kind of congregate towards the cars at the front because the diesel smoke would go up mm-hmm. and then come back down on the uh, the train or the cars near the end. Right. But when I was on those big trains, any major line in India is an electric train. But again, here I was in this train. It's probably 35 degrees before it gets going. I wasn't on a, an AC sleeper. I was just on like a regular sleeper, which the windows open and it's cooled by movement. So you're sitting in the train station kind of boiling. And again, I'm still wearing this like red blazer because I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm representing Rotary in, yeah. in India. Nobody has any idea what I'm doing. They're like, look at this, a white kid wearing a red blazer. What's that about? I couldn't speak Hindi. Most of them could speak English. So they would ask me questions. Yeah. And, you know, I do my best to, to answer. But, you know, again, here I was, I had a bag and I wasn't going to let go of that bag for the life of me because I, I, I was afraid someone wanted to take it. Not that they did, but, you know, um, this is your only worldly possession now that you're not close to your, your home or your family. Mm-hmm. And it was my attachment to home. Um, so that night I traveled to Amrauti, so 12 hours away. And during that train ride, again, I didn't sleep, but 
as the sun came up, you saw all the villagers as you passed um, in this bucolic, like country Indian scene where people are sitting there going to the bathroom, getting up, doing their business, brushing their teeth with neem trees or neem limbs. So it's a, a branch that you take and you you kind of rub your teeth with. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was all new to me. And suddenly I'm, I'm in this place in Amrauti where this Rotarian delegation meets me and they're all kind of hugging me. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. I f- see somebody f- with leprosy for the first time in my life. Mm. You know, that shit doesn't happen in Smith Falls. Yeah. And so then, you know, you kind of get there, you're, you know, you're nervous, but you're also excited to finally have a destination and be there and see where you're going to be living for the next year. And arriving there, I found out that I'd be living in a traditional Indian family. So in Smith Falls, you know, we, we have a nuclear family. It's my parents. It was my brother and sister. At that time, my sister was in university. So it was my brother and I, my parents. And suddenly I'm in this house in India where I'm living with my host father, three host uncles, my host father, my host mother, and three host aunties and all of their kids. And all their kids stayed in one room with my host grandmother. So again, I don't know what we can say on these podcasts, but as an 18-year-old, here I am. Sometimes you wake up with boners. Um, <laughs> and, and I mean, I had this relative, like I had a cute host sister and she slept beside me. And some mornings my host mothers would wake me up and be like, Andrew, uh, get up. And you're like, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and you don't want to get up because you're sitting there with, with a boner. You've got a host sister. You're like... You have mild panic attacks because you're like this. This is a very awkward thing to begin with. But again, you know, this was so far out my my realm of ordinary that I was. It kind of, it really did change me to you know kind of roll with the punches. Yeah. Um, because you have to. Yeah. Um, but you know, you'd sit there. And I couldn't sleep because my host grandmother was snoring. You know, she would have been you know seventy five. Her husband mm-hmm. had died, so she she got to sleep in the room with with me and you know, five other host brothers and sisters. So it was, it was a bit of a change going from my, my nuclear family with my own bedroom and, you know, a lot of space yeah. to having none whatsoever. I mean, I had a cupboard that was mine, mm-hmm. um, but that was it. A little bit of culture shock then. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the first couple of days there, you're, you're sitting there and you're like, like, this is not normal. You know, everybody's interested in me. One of the things that happens when you're as white as I am, you can kind of go peach or, you know, pink. And if you touch me, I go white where you've touched me and then it goes back to pink or peach. Yeah. But my Indian host family thought this was the funniest thing ever. So they would come and touch me. (laughs) What the fuck is going on here? You know, I'm not some party trick, but I became one. And, you know, you just rolled with the punches and and my my host family was very generous. And I think those are called microaggressions these days. Are they? That's what I hear. Okay. I I mean, I'm not up to date with anything. I've got four daughters now. So it's, you know, I I, I know my name some days and some days I don't. Yeah, I hear you. How's that going with the kids? It's going great. Yeah. How's baby? Uh, baby's incredible. She's um, she's not talking, but she's making a lot of loud noises. Yeah. Um, How old is she now? She's 10 months. Nice. Um, but again, there's there's this incredible Yiddish word. It's called nakis. Um, it's the love that you have for your children. And it's a love that, that you know, I've never experienced before. And, and the kids kind of bring that out in me. And it's, it's my favorite time of day is to spend time with them. Yeah. So it's just cutting out time for them and making sure I'm available when they need me. Yeah, totally. I feel that. Yeah. I, I make a big effort to be there for breakfast time. Yeah. Usually dinner time and bedtime as much as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm stressed out in the morning. So I, you know, I, I, I'm getting ready for my work and I find that it's, I'm trying to be present, but that's the least available I mm-hmm. am to my kids because I'm trying to mentally preparing myself for the day. And then, right. um, as 
in the evening, I try to make sure that I'm home from five thirty until when they go to bed. Yeah. And then if I have to go back to work, I'll go to bed, uh, back to work or I'll um, go to the brewery or, or do whatever I'm doing. But you're juggling a lot between four kids and a law practice and a brewery. Last year, I was kind of did a lot with the brewery. I'd have to say, unfortunately, I haven't had the time this year to devote to the brewery as I did last year. And, yeah. you know, and the way it ends up is that other people uh, take more of a lead. And, you know, I have to thank my partners in the brewery for doing that because I just haven't been able to this year. But it, it's, it, you know, you kind of, as more things are thrown at you, you, you just kind of adjust or try to adjust. Mm-hmm. So what did, in in India, you were going to school, you were studying, like a, yeah, doing, so, you did your whole final year of high school there. Was that it? Well, that that was the, the plan. Um, but then I, I started doing yoga, which I wasn't very good at. Um, it was me and a bunch of old dudes in the morning at 6 a.m. getting up and doing stretches as they kind of you know, you would, you would be doing a pose and they'd be farting. And so that, that wasn't me anymore. So I decided that I'd play basketball. So I ended up playing some basketball in India, mm-hmm. um, which I really enjoyed. And then as time went on, I, well, I did go to school until I didn't. Um, and the reason I stopped going to school, so it was, it was a classroom. Uh, the, the boys and girls were separated. I was sitting on one side. There was a cute Indian girl that waved at me, and I waved back. And the teacher Mm -hmm. took note and exception to this and got me to stand up and said, listen, this is not how we do things here. Don't bring your Western culture here. You're uh, essentially uh, defiling our decorum. So that was kind of my last day in class. And Mm -hmm. after that, I spent a lot of time with my host mothers and host aunties, just kind of visiting with them as they cooked and kind of went about their day. And I tried to pick up Hindi. To a certain extent, I could get by, but I was never, like, fluent. Yeah. Um, but we could we could converse in a lot of, you know, hand movement, gesticulation. Um, but I ended up traveling a lot. So I, um, I did a, a one-month tour to the south of India where I um, didn't so much as backpack, but went on a big tour. And then um, I think my, the coolest thing that happened to me when I was in India was before between when I did a, a tour of the south and when I did a tour of the north. Um, one of my friends said, "Hey Andrew, there's this incredible religious festival um, called the Kumbh Mela, which you know, which was being prepared in Allahabad, and it usually takes a year to prepare or two years, and approximately between you know fifty million and one hundred and fifty million people go there during this one month period, mm-hmm. um, January February, and so in two thousand and one, I." I guess it would be February. He reached out to us and said, why don't you come? And I figured, you know, I looked at a map and looking at a map in India, you're like, oh, it's, it's a centimeter. It'll take me, you know, four hours to get there. So I told my host family, I'm like, I'm going to go visit my friend in this city, like pretty close to mine. So he was the only white guy in this other city. And so we, we decided that we were going to go on this little trip together. It would be about four hours there, four hours back and all would be good. And nobody would know. Anyways, we, we get on the, the train from Jalgao. And I had told my host family I was going away for two days. Yeah. It took us two days to get there. Yeah. Um, so you know, this is a train for 48 hours that you're traveling. And we didn't have tickets. So I was sleeping on the, the floor of the train kind of outside the bathroom. So in the middle of the night, you've got people who are clearing their sinuses, you know, and, you know, going to the bathroom essentially five feet from my head. Yeah. So that that, that was kind of, I mean, in retrospect, it was an incredible experience. At the time, you're like, yeah. What am I doing here? And then suddenly you get to uh, um, Allahabad and there are, you know, on the day that I was there, they, they think there was a couple million people going for a dip in the, um, where the Ganges meet the uh, Yamuna and the mythical Saraswati. Right. And so this, this Kumamela, so 
you know, I'll have to, I don't want to offend anybody here because of my lack of knowledge, but I believe it's the Ramayan. There was a, a fight over this elixir of life, which gave you everlasting life. And there was four drops of um, Amrit that fell upon earth. And this was uh, one of the four places that it fell, a Hard, okay. uh, Haridwar, Nasik, um, Allahabad, and I can't remember the other. Um, but this is the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this festival happens every 12 years at, at this city and every three years in other places. But anyway, so here I was staying with the Hare Krishnas in the middle of this tent city on the bank of the, the Yamuna. So there's, you know, a million people staying in this temporary city. And I'm hanging out with the Hare Krishnas, which in itself was kind of a an education. This is the first time that I've been with any you know, large group of foreigners. Yeah. Except they, they're all fairly, um, I mean, they, they had a, a, a different belief system that, that I had never really come across. I mean, I'd been living with my host family who were quite, um, devout Hindus and yeah. who were very accepting and bringing me into, um, their religious traditions. Um, but I had never seen kind of the, a Western approach to it. And so this was kind of a, a different uh, way of, of seeing it. And, and I enjoyed that. But at the same time, you're in the middle of India and you've got this, um, I, I guess at the time the guy was pretty high up in the, the Hare Krishnas and he would, you know, show us all these cool things that he had. He's like, look at these are dates from Afghanistan, oranges from California. Mm. And and as an 18 year old um, who's been alone kind of in his own thoughts and his own world for six months, it's kind of cool to see somebody, you know, paying attention to you and suddenly you're like, yeah. oh, okay, I can, I can kind of see this. And then, you know, for a couple of days, you, you kind of fall into the, um, for lack of a better term, um, I didn't become a Hare Krishna, but I hung out and, you know, I started doing like Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, the, the, the chanting, yeah. um, which was, was, I mean, I don't think I've ever told anybody that, but, um, it was one of those things that was, you, you try everything, um, because you're there and you're experiencing it. And I think because of these, you know, relationships that I felt I had been isolated. And this is the first time where I was kind of not as isolated. And um, there was people that I could share ideas with. Yeah. And I, and the fact that they were listening to me meant that I was paying more attention to them. But that, that, that kind of quickly left. And I, I went for a dip in the, um, the Ganges and where it meets the Saraswati. I, I think I ended up with a, um, a bit of a, a an infection, but the biggest infection that I had when I was in India, in India was kind of like a month into India. I was living in Amrauti and I was walking along and I don't tend to watch where I'm walking. And I was just walking and suddenly I, I f- fall down and I look down and I'm, I'm in a public toilet. So now I'm like knee deep in other people's shit. Yeah. And you know, I've kind of scraped up my legs and my host uncle at the time was like, Andrew, we've got to go to a store opening. I'm like, I don't want to go to a store opening. I want to go home and clean myself up. And he's, he thinks that it's uh, it's no big deal. So we clean my legs off with newspaper. We, we go to a, a store opening where they've got this like conflagration in the middle of the store. So they've got this full on bonfire in this brand new store that's being painted white. Yeah. And he, he turns to me and says, you know, you kind of smell bad. I'm like, of course I smell bad. I got shit all over my legs. Anyways, so that, <laughs> that, that that was that part. But then, you know, I go home and the next day, I after I washed up, I've got all these like red spots on me. And and so I go to the, they take me to the doctor and they're like, oh, you've got chicken pox. I'm like, well, I don't know about chicken pox. Most people don't get it more than once. And I've had it twice. I'm pretty sure it's not chicken pox. Um, well, it turned out that I had a blood infection. And, uh, but, you know, nothing antibiotics didn't fix that time. That came with the the territory being in yeah. something completely different and 
Well, I can only imagine. I I think the biggest amount of culture shock I've ever really had was going to Mexico myself, which is like, I was in Tijuana and it's like (laughs) San Diego's right there. Yeah. You know, it's, you're, you're not really that far removed, but as you say, like you take a plane for 36 hours, you land in this place where I feel like a lot of people over here just tend to think like, oh, India. Yeah. Like Indian people, India, Indian food, it's a place, you know? Same as we might think Belgium is a place or France is a place, but India is like a hundred of those places and it's immense and it's so full of people and there's, it's so different from north to south and east to west. There's so, from dialects to yeah, it's like to, it's, to it's, cultures with, within this giant, like inconceivably large population. It's like Europe in, in, in a country. Yeah. You've got, yeah, exactly. You've got 19 national languages, um, people of all different faiths and creeds. And I, I think I don't do India justice. I mean, it was probably the most um, interesting year of my life and yeah. most challenging, but at the same time, one of the most rewarding too. Um, living in India, I, I, I think it cha- not, it certainly changed me, um, but it gave me a, a, like a deep respect for the Indian culture and to a large extent, other cultures. Yeah. And yeah. have you made subsequent visits? Um, yeah. So in 2013, um, my wife will get a little bit annoyed, but um, we made my eldest daughter in uh, in Delhi. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah. So so I took her back there and we I took her to my to meet my host family. And it was this kind of wonderful experience to, to bring my wife to the closest thing that I have to family that's not family. Yeah. Um, and they dressed her, my, my wife up like a doll. Um, but it, you know, did they poke her skin? No, nah, no, they got over that. You know, they had yeah. a whole year of, of, of touching me to that. It no longer was kind of out of their system. Exactly. Um, but no, she, Jean loved it. I, I mean, I especially loved it because it's, again, it's a big part of my life. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I hope to go back, um, to see my host family because again, they're, near and dear to my heart. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every time I talk to them, I kind of get this chill and this excitement because yeah. they mean so much to me. Have they ever come over here? No. Um, no, they haven't. They, they've, they lived in England or some of them lived in England for a while. And I really should have made an effort to go and see them while they were there. But at the time I was, you know, in university or I was, um, coaching rowing. So mm-hmm. it, it didn't really work out at the time. So you came home and then you went to McGill. Well, I came home, did a semester of, of high school to play basketball, really, and to, right. to get the rest of my OECs. And then I gotcha. backpacked through Europe, and then I went to McGill. And then I picked up rowing randomly. Not so randomly. I mean, I was a OACs. Talk. That must have been like the last year of OACs. Se- you like second last year. Second last. Yeah. Right before the double cohort. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So had I not gone when I went to India, um, I would have graduated a year earlier, but I mean, at the end of the day, I would have been two years ahead of the double cohort. So yeah. nothing super exciting. Yeah. And so how long were you in Montreal? Four and a half years at McGill. And then, my, and then Jean and I stayed there. So I convinced my, my beautiful wife, Jean, to leave New York City and uh, subsequently Ottawa to, to move in with me in Montreal. Um, and for the next three years, she lived there. And the next two and a half years, I lived there. So um, what, what years were those? Um, so that would have been 2007. Um, for me, I, I left in 2009 and Jean left in 2010 to move to England with me. That's And that's when I did law school. 
but that was, you know, that, that was a pretty fun time. I mean, you don't have any kids, you don't have any concerns. Yeah. I mean, I was coaching rowing full time, but I had a job to support my rowing habit, which uh, allowed me to do what I, I wanted to see if, because I thought that's what I loved. And I had the opportunity to, to kind of chase that dream and realize that that wasn't where I wanted to be forever. Yeah. And Jean, God lover, came with me and experienced the same thing and did that. And then when I went to law school, she, in my second year, she came with me and then after we got married, then moved back to, to Smith Falls. And where was the law school? Um, so I went to the law school in Leicester. I had written the French, um, the French te- or the the French exams to get into the University of Montreal, um, but I would have had to wait a year to get to try to get into the university. And then yeah. I read in a newspaper you go to law school that summer or that fall, and I was I'd had enough of. Um, coaching rowing or not that I had enough. I just realized that, that wasn't my, my life path. Yeah. And so at that time I decided that I was going to go to law school. Um, and then it just so happened that the, I saw that ad in the newspaper. I'm like, I'm going to go to law school. Mm-hmm. And fortunately I'm, I'm very fortunate, um, in having, um, parents that were very supportive of that. Cool. Yeah. I got a couple lawyers in the family. Do you? Yeah. My dad was a lawyer. He, uh, he didn't practice law for very long. He's an accountant too. Yeah. Yeah. He got into accounting big time, went to law school, worked as a lawyer, worked in a law office for a couple of years. Then he got some, he was doing some law work for the government and got the opportunity to go back and get some additional education paid for and got his CA and and just kind of left most of lawyering behind. He's always paid his bar dues. So he's Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. He always, he's, he's never let that go. So he can still notarize stuff and he can, he's still technically a lawyer. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't just, know that. Yeah. Just doesn't really, uh, doesn't, doesn't do actually anymore. practice. Yeah. But he, uh, you know, would all, as, as, you know, he was, as an accountant, he was a, he was an expert on international tax and, uh, often there's legalities involved in that. So he was sort of often turned to for his legal expertise within tax expertise yep. sort of thing. So, yeah. And then my, uh, my brother-in-law is a lawyer. He's in mergers and acquisitions. Oh, so he's in the big smoke in a big firm then. Yeah. He's down in Manhattan. He, uh, he articled, uh, at the Supreme court in, oh, Ottawa, wow. in Ottawa. Did he? Yeah. I mean, that's and impressive. Bounced around a couple firms already in, uh, in Manhattan. I didn't know your brother-in-law was Canadian. Yep. So they meet in, in Canada then, or they meet uh, in New York? No, no. Him and my brother met in LA, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, because my brother used to go down to LA, like, for pilot season as, yep. an, as an actor. Yep. And at the time, um, his husband, Chris, was a model yep. down in LA. And uh, he had a similar, you know, sort of shift and just decided modeling wasn't his life path, much like you decided rowing wasn't yours. Yeah. And uh, decided he would become a lawyer. So he did that. And he's still a lawyer. Yeah. 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 He just like, he just, he just became a lawyer. It was like a year and a half ago, two years ago. And so he's a, a lawyer in New York or in LA? In New York. Now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Him and my brother and uh, they have an apartment in Manhattan on 56th, I think. Oh, right, wow. right near Central Park. Yeah. My sister lived in New York City until recently. She was working for the UN in there and so she lived i think about 120th so yeah she was just at the uh, bottom of harlem yeah yeah way up there yeah, way yeah up i there. love i love new york my parents lived there for a while 
Did you live there as a kid? I never lived there as a kid. No, my parents moved there, I think around 2006, 2007. They were there for three years. Yeah. My dad went, uh, was with, uh, when he was with Deloitte. Okay. They started up a new, like, uh, a new team. But gave you an opportunity to, to have a nice, yeah, a nice yeah, home visited, base there. Yeah, I visited yeah. As, as much as I could. They lived in, they lived in James Dean's old apartment. Oh, cool. Yeah. It was like half a block from Central Park. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, that. I don't know New York all that well. I know that there's a grid pattern. So, yeah. I mean, my, Jean went to university there, so it was always nice to to, to visit her. Yeah. Um, but again, it was she knew the city well, and she would just take me along, and I wouldn't really pay attention to where I was. I yeah. just followed her lead. Yeah. This was a good location. It was basically like on the just on the west side of Central Park, but like right kind of near the the middle of of the length of the park. Yeah, so Jean would have been at the top end, so she was at Columbia. Yeah. We were about 20-minute walk down to, like, Times Square. Oh, wow. Five to seven-minute walk to, like, Broadway. Yeah. Not, like, the Broadway part of Broadway, but the, the street. That runs the length yeah. of the city, yeah. Yeah. Um, or Manhattan, anyways. My favorite bar in New York is on Broadway right there. Oh, really? Right in that area, about a 10-minute walk from my parents' old place. Just this dingy old little bar called uh, Rudy's. Cool. And they only serve their own beer and they have a, they have three, they have blonde, a red and a dark. Sounds like McSorley's, which is another awesome Yeah, bar that's, and, my, that's my, that's oh, my, okay. that's my other favorite. That's my <laughs> McSorley's and Rudy's. Yeah. If you get food at McSorley's, it's, it's some bread and some cheese. Yeah. And yeah. then you get white, a lighter dark beer. Yeah. And you get sat down at a table. With at, some randoms. Yeah. With some randoms, wherever there's free seats, that's, <laughs> that's where they sit you. And they've got like an 1800s, like fireplace it's not really a fireplace it's to warm the whole place and it's you know completely against fire code but yeah you know some some person in the states is is glorious in keeping these uh existing non-conforming things or to be allowed well talk about grandfathered it's the oldest bar in manhattan the oldest still functioning bar yeah. in manhattan the uh have you ever taken note of the dust on the uh chandeliers in that place no I didn't. it's like two you look up and the the dust they purposely, they've never dusted them. The dust is like piled on the chandeliers, like two, three inches high. I think the coolest thing is they've got an original like newspaper print from Abe Lincoln's assassination. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's been up there for 150 years, just yeah. kind of sitting there hanging out and unchanged. Yeah. I love that place. Rudy's is, it doesn't have nearly as much history, but they have really cheap beer yep. and uh, free hot dogs. Well, that's the best. You know, when, when I moved back, to, when I was living in Montreal, the expos were still there. And it was, you know, one of the ways they got people there was they had like a dollar hot dogs and two dollar beers. Yeah. And as, you know, a, a freshman in university, that was that was pretty awesome. Um, not that I really cared about the baseball game at the end of it, but, yeah. you know, it was great entertainment for 12 bucks. You had a great yeah. night. Yeah. I love live baseball. I'm not like a big sports fan myself, and I will virtually never watch it on TV. And I don't follow teams and I'm not a fan of any team, this or that in any sport, but I grew up, I would go to like Ottawa Lynx games. Yep. I would go to uh Rough Riders games. I really like, li I like live. I like it being in the stands, watching it in person. I love it. And being part of that energy. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm, I, I don't, the yelling at the screen thing. I just, it's just not for me. Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. But, yeah. you know, I, I do like going to the live games. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, was, that was a lot of fun when I was in university, going to the hockey games there. 
it, it was just kind of that atmosphere. You know, that it was a, there was a time and place for these things, and you know, live sports I I quite enjoy. Kind yeah. of like I, I like live entertainment in general. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Were you ever into wrestling? No, no, no. I mean. I was, but you know, my parents didn't like wrestling, so mm. I would kind of watch it when nobody else was at home. So yeah. you know, there would be I think Saturday afternoon TSN had it from like one until two, yeah. and my mom would be grocery shopping, my dad would be some somewhere, and I would watch half an hour here and there of like Monday Night Raw or something. And that was, you know, and I thought that I was doing some some pretty crazy and out there when yeah. I was like a a twelve year old watching this wrestling. You know, I used to love Hulk Hogan and Macho Man. Yeah, you know when they had that. Sp- that fight about uh there's a girlfriend i can't remember who it was but anyway miss elizabeth yeah that's who it was yeah yeah that was that damn yeah, right that, that that blew my mind as yeah. like a a seven-year-old um the, these two good friends could have a fight over over this this beautiful lady yeah it was an epic battle yeah but that's that's kind of what i remember of it and i i, I you know my uh was andre the giant but you know my my like vision of Andre the Giant is somewhat clouded by the Princess Bride because I just love that yeah, character. Oh yeah. Whose isn't? Yeah, but I mean, he's he's not much of a character, really. He's himself. He's just Andre the Giant. Yeah, he doggy paddles. You talk, know? talk about typecast. <laughs> <laughs> I only doggy paddle. <laughs> exactly. That was like that's my favorite line ever. You know, how's that become my favorite line ever? So you, so you, so you were into wrestling. I, I, I was, I was a closeted like. Yeah. huge wrestling fan yeah um but i again it was kind of like with some shame that i that i watched it because yeah. I, you know i thought my parents didn't like it so i'd watch it when they weren't paying attention yeah i came from i came from a wrestling family oh did you yeah like brother hitman heart type family uh not quite like yeah. all my uncles were wrestlers in high school and my dad was a wrestler in not high like, school not like not like wcw wrestling but no like, no like, yeah yeah like wrestling like like greco-roman wrestling yeah, but not Greco-Roman. Okay. Greco-Roman's like... The standing up. No, yeah, yeah, standing up, it's no like grappling type thing. Yeah. stuff. But yeah, yeah like freestyle yeah. wrestling. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, my, like, my dad had... My dad was one of five brothers. And they... None of them went to the same high school. Really? For some reason. Part of it was when they moved and some of the age gaps, but even... There's some other things that happen with like school area borders changing or them moving and somebody's, they all went to different high schools. So is your dad from Ottawa as well? He's from Ottawa area. Okay. But he spent t- some time growing up in like outside of Montreal in uh, Point Claire. Okay. Yeah. So my mom's pretty, from pretty close to that. She's yeah. from Hudson. And, uh, but, but for the most part, Ottawa, yeah. Ottawa area. Yeah. Um, well, my dad's from right beside Point Claire and, um, Beaconsfield. Hmm. But yeah, five brothers, and they were all respective captains of their own wrestling teams. So were they were they, the were they concurrently at different high schools wrestling against each other on like captains of different teams? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And they were known for like being a wrestling family because they were all like the captains of their own teams. I yeah. don't think they really wrestled against each other because I, I don't I don't know that necessarily all five of them, because my grandma didn't pump out five kids in five years. But close, yeah, close. Um, and uh, so I just, I just grew up. That was like the lore of the family. We weren't a hockey family. We weren't a football family. We weren't a basketball family. We were very much a wrestling family. And again, yeah, like it's actual wrestling, not, but not the entertainment. The, 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 wrestling. Fa- the fan, the fandom, kind of 
crosses streams between both. I think I, I loved both and I grew up love loving wrestling and my dad would always let me try out my new wrestling moves on him and stuff. He was, he was pretty good about that. Yeah. See, I used to, to play basketball in my, in, in the basketball, my parents had a basketball court. Yeah. You know, I, I grew, I, I, I was a slow, I, I developed slowly. And so, you know, I was, I was an eight year old boy playing basketball in the, in the backyard court with my dad and he would sit there and we play 21 and he yeah. would beat me 21 zero and he'd walk around the backyard saying, you know, zero, zero. And here you are as an eight-year-old boy, your dad's like <laughs> chirping you for not getting any points in these games. I mean, I grew up as a basketball, like in a basketball family and it was just like, okay, I got to get more than zero. So long as he doesn't chirp me. That, yeah. that, that's my goal today. Yeah. So, but we grew up watching, you know, March Madness and uh, what is it? The, the last dance came out last year and, and suddenly it was kind of like being brought back to my childhood watching the Bulls over again with my yeah. with my dad because that was that was something that, that I grew up watching was basketball yeah. and that was kind of the the focus of our family was basketball right. even though my brother played hockey and I did until I was you know beginning of high school yeah well you got the hype for it I do so is your dad yeah and so is my brother I mean I but I I grew late so I I was you know. In grade nine, I was five eight, and I was one hundred and twenty pounds. I was like the th I weighed the third less in high school, so I was you know a small human being. Yeah. And then by the time I I graduated high school, I was you know one hundred and seventy pounds and six five. So I was yeah. this gangly looking yeah. guy with big hands and big feet, but not much to the rest of me. Yeah, I know a lot of tall guys who who grew up like that. My my sister's husband was like that. He oh, was, was he? like, oh yeah, he was he was like five foot five until grade 11 and then came back a foot taller the next like after summer yeah i mean i i went away to india um and i was a lot bigger than my brother you know i finally could beat up my sister who was six feet and um she was she was a competitor and i i went away to india and i was like yeah i can finally beat up my sister i come home from india and my brother's a tree He's six six and like you know, uh, two hundred and thirty pounds, and here I am like six four and a half, you know, one hundred and seventy five pounds, soaking wet. Um, so I never really was. I, I never was at the, uh, the the top of my family, um, you know, athletically or um, competitively. But you know, it's one of those things. I was in the fights because I'm the one who learned how to wrestle. Oh yeah, yeah. You get all those moves. Yeah, my brother and sister focused on like dancing, so they could outdance me. They'd beat me on the dance floor, but on the wrestling mat. You could take them. Yeah, I'd hand them their asses. Yeah, see, no, nah, that was never me. That was always my sister. My brother could take me. And and, and and growing up and your sister can take you until, you know, you're 18, you're kind of like, oh, shit, what, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and then the day you can finally take your sister, your brother can take you. He's four years young. You're like, fuck, I wish I was. And, and at the end of the day, you know, we, we all have our own strengths. But for that for that brief moment, I was... I was the strongest, but yeah. not for very long. Yeah. Your brother's older or younger? No, my brother's four years younger. So yeah. I've got a sister that is uh, two years old, two and a half years older. Yeah. Uh, she lives in Italy, and then my younger brother lives in Peterborough. Yeah. My younger brother got taller than me. It pissed me off. Yeah, but you can still beat him when you wrestle him. I can, yeah. Which is, you know, important. Yeah. I can beat him in arm wrestles, too. But he can outdance you. He can outdance me. He's much better looking than I am. Isn't that frustrating? I mean, both of my siblings are better looking than me. I, yeah. I've grown this beard to like, just, just so that I have something else to say. Yeah. Look, look at me. I got a big beard. Yeah. I have the bigger beard. Do you? Too. Yeah. I've got the bigger than my brother or my sister. Wow. 
You know, that, that's important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you wax it? Do you oil it? Um, I oil it sometimes. Yeah. I use a bit of, yeah, use a little bit of beard oil. Helps give it a bit of a, a glisten. Yeah. Shine. Just one sec. That's, that's my drywall. Right. My drywall guy. You know Tom? I know him to see him. Yeah. Yeah. He's my drywall guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, he does good work. Yeah, that's important. So when you find your people, you get your he's people. He's a hardworking guy. That's, that's one of the nice things about being in a small town. You're connected to all these people that you know on different levels. You know, you, you meet them as a hardworking guy, but at the end of the day, you know, it's nice to connect. You know, you know the people's history. You know their, their families. You, yeah. you kind of know a lot about them. Yeah, I've been learning more about Tom. He's, uh, he's got a family, works hard, works a full-time job, and then comes does drywall jobs on the side like five, six nights a week. That's incredible. Yeah, busy guy. Yeah. You want more of that? No, I gotta I gotta drive to Rock Springs tonight. We've uh we've just moved out. So oh, you're going all the way out there tonight. Yeah. Where's Rock Springs? Is that due south of here? Pretty much. It's this uh little place between here and Brockville. Um just be, like County Road seven, just past Jasper. It's um you know, we're fortunate enough to have a place to stay while we have some renovations done to our house. Yeah. Yeah. Is that place, you guys had that place for a long time? Is it like a family property? Or? So, so Gene's grandparents randomly retired, well, not randomly, they retired to Rock Springs and mm -hmm. randomly I knew where it was. So when Jean and I were rowing in Ottawa, yeah. that's where we met. Um, she said, you know, can we go to, uh, would you like to go to my grandparents' place? It's in Rock Springs. I'm like, yeah, I know where Rock Springs is. And she kind of looked at me like I had two heads, but uh, I was from Smith Falls and yeah. that was the fastest way to Brockville. So that was just on the way. Cool. Yeah. And and uh, so when Jean's grandparents moved into a home, um, her parents kind of took over the place and now they're they're fixing it up to kind of be theirs. And uh, so again, we're fortunate to have a place close enough to Smith Falls that we can kind of call our own for a little bit, um, not having to impede on anybody else. Yeah. So Jean's parents don't live there? Well, they since the pandemic, actually. They've been there more often than they haven't been. So they're, they're there kind of four or five days a week. And we, we spent a lot of weekends there since the pandemic. Yeah, because you got some land out there. Yeah, some great land to go for a walk on. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a bit of a catharsis for me to, to cut down some dead trees. Yeah. Um, I haven't killed myself yet, so that's, that's a bonus. I used to have a country property I could get away to. I miss it. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of land, but there was still a lot of land around that I could go for walks on yeah i mean what they call it forest bathing i mm -hmm. just find that that um it, it gives me a, like i just relax there mm -hmm. um and i'm getting pretty handy with a chainsaw that kind of gets me excited yeah chainsaws are fun you got a gas one or electric oh gas one yeah gotta have a gas one yeah i mean my father-in-law has a an electric one so when i cut something down he comes along and delims it afterwards yeah yeah and then i um a friend of mine just bought a, a sawmill that I contributed to. So I think that's, that's you know, starting this weekend, hopefully I'm going to sob some of the, the dead cedar that I've cut down. Nice. What I'm going to do with the cedar, I don't know, but it, it'll be a fun project. Well, cheaper than getting it from the uh, hardware store these days. I don't know if it is. I mean, you know, <laughs> the amount of money I've spent on it and the, you know, the time, but it, yeah, it is. And it's something fun to do, something different. When I first got my country property, I had a huge fireplace in it and it was a place that i actually like i bought it on a whim yeah and after i bought it i heard these horror stories from the neighbors that it was like 
completely uninsulated building and that it costs an arm and a leg to heat and it's what and that trying to heat the place is what drove the the previous owner into bankruptcy. Wow, that's the- and that it was costing like a thousand bucks a month to heat this place. So I got a little freaked out. Like I don't want to turn on the furnaces. Yeah. So I'm just going to try to heat it off of wood. And did it work? It did because yeah. it was a kick-ass fireplace. Yeah. And what I wound up learning later is that the front of the building, which was an old church, was yeah uninsulated because it was built it was, in. It was a church. Yeah, it was a church. Yeah, I'm sure your house isn't completely insulated. Yeah, yeah. being 100 years old. 100%. There's, yeah, there's probably a bit of newspaper in the walls or something. Yeah, sawdust. Um, or yeah. There might be, you know, two yeah. layers of brick and some air spaces. Um, but it was only the front building that yeah. was uninsulated. The the rear building was like fully, like it, it had been turned from a community center into a house like yeah. 10 years before I bought it. Like it was all fresh construction. So it was very well insulated back there. But it, it still had the original, like, decades-old oil oil furnace in it when the guy before me had it. And when he lost it to the bank, they installed two brand-new high-efficiency furnaces, one for the front building that wasn't insulated and then one for the back. Yeah. So I only had to run the one furnace to heat the back. And I spent a year living there not turning the furnaces on because I was terrified and heating it only off of wood. And to try and save extra money... I found a like a tree trimming company that would like dump free wood on your lawn, like whole trees, yep. just because it saved them the trouble of disposing of it. And I got myself a chainsaw, and I and I cut it up, and it took me ten hours just to cut up this one big. I think it was a hickory tree. So did you split it as well, or did you split it at the same time um, that you were cutting it up? I didn't split it until a long time later. Yep. Um, I dried it along the side of the house and I don't think I ever touched my chainsaw again because from eight hours of operating a chainsaw, I gave myself like really bad tennis elbow Oh boy! and like could barely move my, move my arm for like a month. And it just, it was an idea that backfired. I just, I never really wanted to look at chopping up <laughs> a tree with a chainsaw again and then i realized that down in chatham you could buy split wood for like 60 bucks a face cord because <laughs> shit's so crazy cheap down there for everything and then the neck i was like i'm just gonna try turning these furnaces on and my equal billing that year was 60 bucks a month yeah so i left the whole wood i, I left the whole heating the thing by wood aside and just had fires for pleasure after that fair enough now when we moved into our house we we had an old oil furnace that we looked at so the first month we we owned it it was a thousand bucks and i was just like i can't can't afford this yeah the house you're in now yeah the house we're in now yeah because it was an old um duplex that that had no insulation and and when we moved into it we it was empty and so there's nothing to retain the heat so essentially we were just paying the heat outside and so the first thing we did was turn it into natural gas and yeah. then we could afford to live there. And then they doubled the price of natural gas. Yeah, but we got new windows too, so that went a long mm-hmm. way. And then now you're doing a whole bunch more work. Well, yeah, we don't, I mean, we don't really fit in the house now that I've, uh, my wife and I kept making kids. So, you know, we, we, we have four wonderful kids and that, you know, we, we could move and find some place that would fit us or we can make our space something that uh, is our own unless you want to kick it bombay style 
unless we want to kick a bomb based on which i'm sure my kids would love i mean mm-hmm. i have four beautiful girls and i'm sure you know right now there's three in a room and they think that's pretty pretty awesome and that would have been great but at the end of the day um the i i think having their their own space is probably at, at this not now but maybe in the future that's something that they'll want and and i like living in town and i like living mm-hmm. you know four blocks from work, four blocks from my parents' house, four blocks from the, the daycare, you know, eight blocks from school. It's just incredibly convenient yeah. living in town. Yeah. I love um, it too. Yeah. I live real close. Yeah. Just around. I, I can see your house. I can see yours too. And, and in fact, you still have your Christmas light up in the attic. We do. I keep yeah. forgetting to take that down, <laughs> that, that bell. Yeah. All summer, I'm like, oh, it's, it's almost Christmas again. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's almost timely. Might as well just keep it up at yeah, this yeah. point. I mean, once you're six months late, yeah, you're early you're now. just six months early. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't look up often at my house. I think from your house, you probably have a, it's, it's less of a look up for you. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like a very level. high, I have to cock my head at a very high angle to ever see that. Yeah, but it's incredible. I mean, you guys are, what, you've been here for three years now this, this winter, isn't it? Or is it four? Um, on January 4th, it'll be three years. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, there's been more change in this town in the last three years than there has been the rest of my life. Yeah, I you believe know, it. I walked away for 10 years and, you know, as an 18-year-old being like, fuck this, I'm out. And then, yeah. you know, at 29, or sorry, 30, wanting to be back and looking forward to it. Yeah. Everybody was the same. You know, there was a guy called Freddie, you know, he was standing at the same corner. His face was a little bit longer. His shadow was a little bit darker on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. but he was still there. Yeah. And nothing had changed, you know. And then in the last three years or the last five years, everything has changed. Yeah. You know, the demographics have changed. The... The vitality of the town has kind of recovered, and yeah. people are excited to be here. And it's, it's nice; it's refreshing. So, it changes for the good. You feel? I think so. Yeah, yeah. People aren't great with change at first, but when change happens, I think they embrace it. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that I've embraced it. I think you have. Yeah. Some people don't. They have a harder time with it. Yeah, but you know, nothing remains the same, and I think that's you know, for thirty thirty years, everything. As far as I could tell, you know, I think when I was really young, things had changed quite a bit in the first 10 years of my life, but I wasn't really aware, Mm -hmm. you know, you're kind of aware of what your parents do, but not, not anything outside. People who get viewed as being resistant to change, often it's not about the change itself. Yeah. I also think there's comfort in knowing something, comfort in, you know, growing up in, in a place that, that is very similar to, you know, I look at what I do with my kids and I, I have my kids playing similar sports that I do and I find yeah. comfort in that. And I think when you've grown up in, in an environment and that environment has been your environment for your whole life and suddenly there's things that are changing, you know, you're, you're not as comfortable because it's different and you've, for the last 50 years, you've had this same thing that you've really loved and, well, maybe not loved, but you've, mm-hmm. you've ap- appreciated to a certain extent. Um, and when that changes, I think it's difficult to accept change sometimes. And, and I, I know that with, with myself, I'm not the best at, um, I have to be told a new idea a million times before I'm really ready to accept it. Mm. Um, but that's just me. And some of these people that, you know, they haven't had the opportunities, um, to experience different changes in their life because they've, it, it has been a comfortable experience. The, the things haven't changed that much. Is is that comfort though? Is that comfort or is that habit? 
Well, I, th- I mean, that's, I mean, that's a great point. I think there, there's, there's comfort in knowing what your surroundings are and what they're going to be. Um, because nothing is going to be unexpected. Is it habit? I, I think it's a bit of habit, but I also think it's to, to a certain extent, extent that habit becomes comfort. For example, I mean, I, I like things kind of ordered. So, you know, if my sister is going to come and she pops in unexpectedly, you know, that, that throws me off. I'm not very good with that kind of change. I'm not no. good with anything um, unexpected um, because that's, disturbed my order Hmm. um is that because it's a habit i don't know i think it's um i'm comfortable with with knowing what i'm doing that day and then suddenly something's changed um and i have to kind of take a step back before i can appreciate the the change i'm not the fastest to to say okay this is this is a good change um sometimes that change has to happen and then a couple months later i can appreciate it um, and, and I don't know why that is. I think it's, you know, partly I'm a bit of a curmudgeon. Am I miserable? No. Um, but is there a comfort in, in what I know? Yes. Um, and when that change has happened, I have to re- reestablish my comfort level or reestablish my comfort zone mm-hmm. to meet that changing environment, if that makes any sense at all. I think so. Yeah. This is something I think about sometimes. I, cause I, I feel like I thrive in chaos. Unexpected things, A-OK with me. Yeah, I, I think in certain situations, I really enjoy chaos. Um, but at the end of the day, there's part of me that wants stability. Mm-hmm. And that stability is is knowing that things are the same. So, you know, in part of my life, I'll be dealing with chaos. But at the same time, when I go home, that those moments that are comfortable, that are the same are those moments that I, I really cherish because it's, you know, it's a feeling, it's a, an understanding of, you know, where you are, what's happening. Um, and I think it's, maybe it's just as much of, you know, there's two parts to us. And one part is, you know, dealing with all of these external crazy factors. And on, on the other end of the spectrum, you want some consistency somewhere so that you're not always, focusing on on a changing environment to kind of establish what's comfortable mm-hmm. been a lot of change over the last couple of years everybody's had to roll with those punches yeah but i think that's a lot of change for everybody yeah um and you see some people doing better than others definitely you know and i, I think to a large extent where things have you've you've had a a comfortable and safe home life has contributed to your ability to deal with external factors. So if your home life is constantly changing and then you've got the external stressors of, you know, the pandemic and not knowing what's happening, suddenly you're, you don't have a space to escape. So you're really focused on, you you don't have a a, a place to focus. Your, your focus is now kind of like, what the hell do I do? And it's all over the place and you don't have something kind of refocusing your energy into one specific space. And, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, I think one of the things that I'm blessed for and, and very fortunate about is that I, I have that space, um, not nece- not necessarily outdoors, but with you know with my family, that they can really refocus me and recenter me. I can see that. I mean, I grew up with a pretty stable life. Yeah, you know, and uh, maybe that's why I'm so good with change as an adult. I'm so good with random and 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 chaos coming my way as an adult is because I have that foundation. Yeah. 
you know, that feeling of comfort and safety kind of, I think it follows me wherever I go. Yeah. Cause it's, it was my foundation. And, and at the end of the day, I still know to this day, I can still go home. Yeah. Not everybody has that. Well, I think that's, that, that, that's also kind of an, an awesome thing to have is, is to have that ability to go home. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and, and I've been, again, incredibly blessed and fortunate to have, or to be in a profession with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- I'm not uncomfortable calling him on a Sunday night at 11 p.m. being like, Paul, shit, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Can you um, help me out here? And, and, you know, he may be annoyed that I'm calling him, maybe not as late as 11, but that I'm calling him on a Sunday night. But mm-hmm. um, there is comfort in, in having that, you know. I I dread the day. And I think we all do that um, we lose those those people that are close to us yeah. um, because they, you know, to a large extent, you you share the experience with them um, and they help you guide you to a certain point. And then to, and then suddenly it's, you, they're not guiding you anymore. They're sharing that experience with you. Yeah. And, you know, that transition is, is kind of wonderful. But at the same time, you, you dread the day that you don't have that person to rely on. Yeah. And suddenly you're the guy. Um, or the girl, and you know, one day that'll be me. But to, right now, I've got that safety. I've got that safety net. Mm-hmm. And you know, it used to happen when I would go to my grandparents' place with my parents. My dad would sleep for better than he'd ever sleep eat, like, the rest of the year because there was that comfort. Yeah. Um, and you know, if if I go with my parents, I don't because I live four blocks away. I never go there anymore. Um, but if I go there in the afternoon and have a nap, you're just comfortable. Yeah. And, and it's a, a safe feeling to have. There's no place like home. Exactly. Just like Dorothy said. Yeah, just click my heels and yeah. get home. Yeah. Four blocks away. Four blocks away. I can also just walk. I don't just have to click my heels. Yeah. So, you got a brewery. I got a brewery. How'd that all happen? So, um, I have a anniversary with a guy called Nick Ritchie. So, on August 11th, 2000. 12. So we celebrated our ninth year anniversary. That's just my anniversary. Is it? Yeah. It's the, that's it's a, the date of my marriage. Really? Our yeah. anniversary. Is August your date, 11th, 2012. Is was the date of your... The day I married my wife. Wow. Yeah. Nick and I had lunch and we decided... <laughs> I, I was articling at the time with my dad's firm. And Nick and I had um, just played in a couple of golf tournaments together. And we we're like, yeah, we like each other. Let's do something. Um, and this is, you know, a couple of years after Hershey's had closed. Yeah. The um, Stanley Tools had closed. And also the Ontario Hospital, which later became a regional center, closed. And so we wanted a good news story. And we're like, let's, what do we, what can we do together? Um, and we both like beer. And... We both like drinking beer. Yeah. So like, let's start a brewery. And so there we were, you know, in 2012 with, uh, he had a kid, I didn't. He convinced me also to join the fire department at that point. Um, and, you know, we're like, yeah, let's start a brewery. That's a great idea. And so we, you know, hawk some beer out of um, the back of our vehicles at golf tournaments. And yeah. um, it kind of grew from there to the point then in 2017 with the help of um, the Samir family and a couple other partners at that stage because we got to a certain point point we, were, we weren't moving things forward and so we yeah. brought some other people on who had more energy at the time because at that time we were having kids um, and still having kids um, until recently. And 
we needed that that extra energy to kind of move the goalposts forward. And the people came on and we got a bricks and mortar place um, in Smith Falls. And, and in 2012, our idea was let's um, let's kind of have a good news story for the town. And let's, you know, we had these grand ideas of employing, you know, 14 or 20 people um, full time. And, yeah. you know, we got Jeff now. Um, and we, and Nick and Dave, um, pull a lot of all nighters and I, um, I'm there the odd night as well. And, um, to, to brew and to transfer and they do most of the canning. And yeah. so, yeah. You in charge of the recipes? Um, so what we did originally was, so now we're, we're kind of experimenting on our own. We kind of had a template from, um, a great brewer, um, called Jay Cook, and he kind of gave. We bought some recipes from him, and he mm-hmm. kind of set us on the right path. And then from there, now it's kind of like now we're experimenting on our own because we've got a little bit more experience. Uh, we kind of understand a little bit more of the flavor dynamics, so yep. we're we're trying our best to to kind of create interesting, unique flavors. Cool that that don't taste like shit. Yep. Yep. Do you ever get a batch that just really didn't work? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean. You have to take, you have to look at it like, is it a, because I don't like IPAs. A lot of people like IPAs. I mean, no matter what IPA you're going to put in front of me, I'm going to still say it tastes like shit. Right. Um, So, I mean, there are some, so I think it's in the eye of the beholder. Um, So long as it's, it's interesting. So there, there have been um, a couple duds, Um, but were they duds to everybody? I'm not sure that they were. Right. Do you get to test your recipes in small batches? So our, our system is a three and a half hectoliter system. So our fermenters are, are seven hectoliters. So that's, you know, 700 liters of beer. Um, so the smallest we could do, so we could do it smaller, but um, we usually test batch on a 350 liter ba- um, size. So we, 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 we try it. Um, we've also recently been playing around with casks. Um, yeah. Kind of figuring out how that plays a role. I tried one of those. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, so it's an interesting kind of experience trying to, to learn and based on, you know, what you like and what you didn't like about the beer, you can change it the next time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you find you have to get like consistent ingredients from consistent suppliers to maintain the, the the same flavor profiles? So I, I think the, you know, at the end of the day, we're getting the same grains. The, The biggest, um, thing is the water. Right, um, because we're on municipal water. One of the things that we have to take into account is, and depending on the season, I mean, in the fall, as the water tables are lower, they're putting more chlorine in the water. Yeah, you have to make sure that you're trying your best to get that chlorine out. So it changes the chemistry of the water. And um, not that I know all that much about it, but you, I mean, we put in filters and we try to get some of those cleaning um, ingredients or cleaning chemicals out of the water yeah. to create a, or to have water that is almost as, as close to the same as possible. But I think that's one of the biggest outliers. And the other outlier is temperature control. Hmm. So our fermenters are right in front of big windows. Um, and two of the, two of the fermenters are very consistent and one of them gets a lot of full sunlight. And so it's a question of, you know, adapting, um, what beer you're brewing in that tank, for example, you wouldn't put a lager in that tank that heats up with the sun. You put in, you know, ales, and it's just kind of learning these tricks as you go to yeah. determine how best to. Because lagers ferment 
colder. Cold, exactly. Yeah. So you're, you're fermenting a lager, um, you know, a lot colder than you are in ale. And ale, you're doing kind of room temperature. Yeah. One thing I learned, uh, I worked for Molson for about five years. Yep. And uh, I don't really like their beer. Yeah. Um, but the most impressive thing about their beer is is the fact that they maintain such a consistent uh, recipe and flavor profile from, you know, across the year, from yeah. from where they're brewing on the East Coast to where they're brewing on the West Coast, and making sure that these people who, you know, religiously buy Bud or religiously yeah. buy Blue or religiously buy Coors Light are tasting the same thing but every time. What's funny about that, though, is, is a lot of the times people aren't tasting exactly the same thing. So you get a, uh, you know, a Bud Light that's sat in the, the fridge at the, um, the beer store for, you know, four months. It doesn't necessarily taste the same, I think, to a certain extent, because you, you're not necessarily drinking that beer right after a different yep. case. Yep. Um, it's close enough that you're, you're fooled, but it's not, it's not exactly the same. And there's definitely a lot of fooling going on as well. Yeah. They spend uh, a lot of money on marketing. Yeah, a hundred percent. A lot of money on marketing. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, that you know, I do like the Molson Stock Ale. Maybe, maybe it's just the nostalgia of like you know the idea of go going to like a, a tavern in the nineteen sixties, um, or like you know Labatt Fifty. I mean, I love Fifty. Uh, yeah, like Speed Limit. You go to the Expos games in the yeah. in the eighties and early nineties, and you know there was the the jumbotron with you know not a jumbotron, but it had all the you know, you can see the flag and stuff and, um, but they would have Labatt 50 signs on yeah. either side of it. So, you know, I was kind of enamored with the, the logo from yeah. a very early yeah, age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I find that it, it's surprising to me that people, a lot of people have such an attachment to loggers in the first place. Yeah. So, I mean, loggers themselves, they're what, hundred years old or something? Like they're pretty, it's a pretty new. Well, I mean, I think the Germans beer. were brewing loggers, but it was generally in the fall. Yeah. So, yeah, you got the German. So, yeah, I, th I think loggers, like a logger year round is, is pretty, yeah. pretty recent, you know, yeah. the event of, or the advent of a refrigeration before that, you know, you're brewing based on the time of year. Yeah. So, you know, the German purity or beer purity laws, you, you brew the, the beer at different times of the year, it's going to come out differently based on the temperature of the, uh, of the fermentation. Right. Yeah. I've never done any brewing myself. I got a, I still should have. should come out sometime. I should, I should. I have this home brewing kit yeah. at home that I got for Christmas like five years ago. I don't even know if like I can even still use it if it was, the ingredients were vacuum packed well enough or what. But, uh, just, just try it. Yeah, I'll try it. What have I got to lose? Yeah. I mean, that's how they used to make. Your, uh, your eyesight. Well, that's how they used to make water safe, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm not going to not going to put any antifreeze in. No. No, but if you had a still, you could make yourself go blind, I'm sure. Probably. Yeah. 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 So what, uh, where are you guys going to go next? What do you think? You going to, you got any big plans for the future with the brewery? Yeah. I mean, um, so I think we're coming up with a couple different things. So I think next doing an APA, I, I, I th think one of the things that we, we, we're doing now is just focusing on more seasonal beers. Yeah. Um, and just kind of brewing more in-house yeah. um, because we started off contract brewing, which is essentially having somebody else brew your recipe. Yeah. And that's been one of the biggest shifts is, is doing our own beer. Yeah. Who were you contracting with before? Um, so we started off with a, 
a brewery in Southern Ontario. And most recently we've been using a brewery called Spearhead, which yeah. they, they do great things. Yeah. Which um, was a Southern Ontario. One. Um, shoot. Yeah. I, I'd be lying to you if I said I remembered. You remember what town it was in? Yeah. It was in, um, Niagara huh, or okay. Niagara Falls. Yeah. I wouldn't know that one. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a good brewery to start off with and it was, you know, problematic in the fact that it was a seven hour drive and yeah. having to coordinate getting beer up here was, was, was difficult. But now that we have it here, um, you know, Kingston, if we need it uh, contract brewed, it's a couple, like it's 45 minutes or an hour away, Yeah, which makes it a lot more convenient. But you're doing a lot of your own stuff. Yeah, exactly. And w what's the split for you now between contract and in-house? I would say that we're doing, you know, 70% in-house and 30% contracted. Yeah. Yeah. And you got one in the LCBO now. Yeah, we've got um, our our um, Hill 70, which was, you know, a, a Belgian blonde ale. Yeah. Um, which we were quite happy to to get go like off the um i mean one of, one of one of our big things is is a connection to like the like local history and, and his history of the area and, yeah. and that's why we've got hill 70 it kind of honors you know the canadian soldiers who fought in the first world war and honors their memory because you know at the end of the day the people who were fighting weren't saints um they like to drink beer yeah some of them and um so you know in our own little way we're we're trying to pay homage to them in, in a way that, it, you know, is, is not necessarily something that has been done all that often, but you're seeing it more and more, Yeah. but in, in a way that's respectful and, and kind of having people rem like under, not understand, but see or read at least a story about, you know, something that affected Canada in the direction of Canada, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, to a lot of people's being forgotten. Yeah. Now, I mean, I see you guys, Generally, a lot of your beers focus on that, yeah, local, that local angle. Just you know, from the names and the imagery, yeah. you use uh, seems pretty heavily local focus, which which I love. Yeah, but I'm also curious, like in terms of getting a beer into the LCBO, how do how do you balance that with any notion of so, trying to go nationwide or 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 get a hit beer across LCBOs across Ontario so or, or that, that kind of expansion? So most most of our local things, so like. Um, living north of seven, um, you know, that, that's pretty provincial, yep. um, but Hill 70 has, has a wider appeal, but a lot of our, our, our local sessional beers, which are only to be, um, bought or purchased out of our brewery or drank in our brewery. We want to pay homage to kind of the, the history of a town, um, that, you know, I've grown up in, you know, at, at some points in my life I've hated, but I, I really do down love it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that we respect our, our past and understand it. Um, and, and maybe this is coming back to, you know, I'm not the best with change, but I, I like, and I like to know the past so that maybe I can have a better idea of predicting, you know, what will happen in the future. And so if you know where we've come from, we can kind of help chart our path forward. Have a better idea of where yeah. we're going. Um, and, and, and I mean, this is pretty simplistic, but I do like to know, you know, um, one of the beers that I'm really excited about that we're going to be doing is, is called Agnes. Um, so Agnes Lamb was one of the first doctors, a yep. female doctors in Canada. And I, I think it's a forgotten story. I mean, Glenn Lockwood points it out in his book on Smith Falls. Um, but it, it is very poignant to me that, um, we had one of the first female practicing doctors in Smith Falls and she's, you know, outside of the town recently, she was largely forgotten. And in Glenn Lockwood's book kind of brought, um, 
you know, some, some light onto her, her past and, and the fact that, um, she was, you know, maybe maligned, you know, she is a wonderful inspiration to, um, you know, I have four daughters and I, th- I think, um, individuals like that are important, yeah. um, and that we should respect the past and understand it. So what's the Agnes beer going to be? Um, so we don't really know. Um, Agnes was um, of Scottish descent. She was mm-hmm. uh, part of the Church of Scotland, so really an Anglican. She's buried, um, you know, I was, I was walking my kids um, in the uh, Anglican cemetery a couple of years ago, and I came across Agnes, and suddenly I'm like, oh, hey. Um, you know, I had a little visit with Agnes. It may sound weird, um, but she's of Scottish descent, so I think it would be an oak-infused um you know, ale, not a lager, but an mm-hmm. ale, um, which would kind of play to her roots. Nice. Yeah. And I think she, she actually got her medical doctorate in Scotland. So she didn't actually get it in Canada. She actually went overseas to get mm. that in Scotland where she stayed with some family. So when do you expect to have that one ready? Um, I mean, I, I expected to have it before now, um, but, but hopefully um, around Christmas or just after Christmas. Awesome. Yeah. And how's uh have you found going through the LCBO? That's a nightmare for some people. Yeah, I mean it, it kind of is. So, but the, the the first time we went to the LCBO, we're we're trying to bring our logger north of seven. Yeah. Um, one of the issues though though was we didn't actually have all the yeast out of our beer, um, and so I think it sat in somebody's office for a couple months and that blew up. Mm. Um, so we get these calls from people saying, you know, the beer's blowing up in our basement. We're like, oh shit. Um, because the, the yeast hadn't been properly filtered out of the beer. Mm-hmm. And so when people didn't have it refrigerated and there's no preservatives in it, um, it started to re-ferment. And, right. and so the pressure on the cans would make them blow up. Hmm. So um, lesson learned. Is that how they usually do it these days? They have to get all the yeast out? Because you used to have to leave it in. Well, yeah, because, I mean... That's that, how you carbonated it. Yeah. But but these were cans, and we'd already carbonated it. Yeah. And so you're adding to the carbonation the a secondary fermentation when it heated up. So that means that it wasn't completely fermented. So yeah. there's still sugars in the um in in the liquid. Yeah. Um. And so that was that was that was exciting because we were sitting there a couple nights, um, and we'd tap beers and they blow up. And so that was that was you know a learning process. At my old place, my country place that I mentioned, when I finally sold it, yeah, I had this sort of. It was originally just a room I stored wood in. Yeah. And I had these shelves along the wall. And when I was trying to sell it, I thought, how can I make this room fancier looking and make somebody pay more for the place? So I decided to turn it into a like a, a wine cellar. <laughs> and I bought some racks of wine. And like like I, I bought some pieces of wood to, to like glue and nail into these wood shelves that would like keep the bottles from rolling on the shelves. And, uh, and I was like looks great but if it if i'm really going to make it look nice it needs to be full of wine but i didn't want to go out and spend so you make your own wine i made my own prop wine oh so you put you, i made fake wine that's pretty awesome yeah you put did you make wine or you just put water in bottles and then i put went a cork in them i went to a bottling i went to like a wine making place and yep. i bought a bunch of bottles and i rented their corker yep and i filled it with water and food coloring yeah but then I got like halfway through the bottles and I ran out of food coloring and I lived like 20 minutes outside of town. I was yeah. like, well, I need to make it look like wine. So I need to darken it and I'm all out of food coloring. So for the second half of the bottles, 
I added soy sauce. Oh. Seemed like a great idea at the time. I mean, there was no yeast in these, but there was something that happened in these bottles that when I came back two weeks later, half of the soya sauce bottles had just popped their corks <laughs> and exploded all, all over this room. And oh, shit, did it smell bad. I mean, soy sauce is a fermented yeah. liquid, right? So I don't know how much yeast or whatever fermenting agents were were still alive in there. Or if I just did a shitty job at putting corks in or what, but they definitely exploded. And I came in like long enough later that it was like, there was no liquid left. Was, was this just, when you were living in Smith Falls and driving back? Uh, it was. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it was then. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it sat there for a couple of weeks, just hanging out in the summer. Yeah. Got hot. Is, it, is, um, it, is this when you first moved to Smith Falls and you forgot to like cut your lawn? And some of the neighbors were up in arms that they, these new, new people moving to the, the neighborhood weren't cutting their lawn. Our lawn got a little bit long. It wasn't, it wasn't that long. It wasn't that long. I don't yeah. cut my lawn. My wife does. Oh, okay. Uh, I have allergies. So uh, she's, she's kind to me. I'm allergic to grass. That's like my really? main allergy is I'm allergic to grass. When I was in high school, I used to play soccer. And every time I was on the shirts team, yeah. I'd wind up like getting a little itchy. And then I'd scratch myself. And wherever I scratched myself would turn into giant red welts because yeah. I would have like grass on my hands from being in the field. And I never knew it at the time. I didn't, I got tested like years later, but all made sense when it came together. I'm allergic to grass and I'm allergic to trees. Yeah. Cause so, the, the first night things opened back up, we, uh, we actually ended up having a date night, not oh, yeah, yeah. together. Oh yeah. Patio. And, and yeah. I was certainly suffering. Yeah. That was peak allergy season. And, uh, I usually just hide inside Yeah, for a good two weeks straight. I just hide inside and Amber had the great idea to, it was like our first date in months, like with COVID and, but she should have planned it inside, which was not a possibility because there was no to go, nowhere to go. Not really her fault, but yeah. she, she often forgets. She's very, she's a windows open kind of person. She just likes to feel the breeze flowing through the house, which I love too. Yeah. At certain times of the year, very specific times of the year. Cause the other times I just get wrecked. It yeah. just makes my face explode. Yeah. Very allergic to grass. Don't like to cut it. Don't like to be around it. Yeah, that, that makes sense, though. If, you, if you're going to have that reaction, other people can do that. Yeah. When Jean was pregnant, I can't remember with what child, um, but she was, you know, really wanted the baby to come out. So she was um, mowing the lawn, and some of the, the neighbors thought I was a complete asshole because here I am, my, my wife, who's nine and a half months pregnant, he, she's out there pushing the lawn more. And and so they think I'm an asshole. And, and Jean, the whole time, was just trying to get that baby to come out. Yeah. Um, I get that too. No pregnancy involved. But yeah. People just see my wife doing it and they're like, man can't cut his own lawn. What's wrong with him? <laughs> it's funny how kind of the gender stereotypes can yeah. assign certain roles to certain people. And my, my wife seems fine with them. In our house, she, she calls things pink jobs and blue jobs. Yeah. Taking out the garbage is a blue job. That's definitely a blue job in my family yeah. too. Yeah. And just so long as I remember. Yeah, I don't it, always remember. I do a lot of mad dashes to the curb in the morning. Yeah, if I don't remember, I just bring it to my parents the next day again. Another joy of being four oh, blocks away from my parents. nice. Yeah. One day later, four one, blocks over, perfect. Exactly. It's amazing. You know, when I do the kid drop off, I one block down from the kid drop off at daycare, I can just take the garbage at the same time. Yeah, I make trips to the dump. Where's the dump? GIM. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that for the first year I was here too. I was driving out to Carp. Yeah, I've been here for a little bit longer than a year, so I'm embarrassed about that. Yeah. Well, I don't, they don't advertise it that that much. 
Well, I mean, I've heard dumpsters before, but they've dropped them off at my house and I've, you know, who knew that lath and plaster weighed as much as it does until you actually try to fill a whole garbage can up full of it and then try to move it. Oh yeah, I did. I worked for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Did you? Yeah. That must have been early on. Uh, It was uh, 2004. Yeah. Yeah, I learned a lot about waste in that job and how much things weigh. Yeah. Different things. Although a lot of the heavy stuff winds up being cheaper to get rid of because you can dump it at a different rate. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, dumps crave what they refer to as aggregate. Yeah. So you leave metal and there other stuff in it? uh, Well, not metal. Metal's metal. Yeah. Metal you can get money for. They'll pay you for the metal because they're making money for it. And uh, I used to, yeah, I used to like, I would collect metal on the side, especially copper. Copper was the money metal. But like cement and asphalt and stuff like that, stuff that will give a landfill structure and substance yep they crave it they want it oh really yeah because otherwise a landfill is just like paper and plastic bags and apple cores and, and it's and, and a whole and bunch of soft stuff yep and machinery will sink and people uh-huh. will sink like they they need aggregate they need cement they need gravel they need stones they need it's funny stuff how like that and i am on all these things yeah and uh so you can yeah it's like some dumps will take it for free. If it's a good aggregate, they'll take it for free. Yeah. Um, and then there's other places that will take like clean fill for free. Some places will take dirty fill for free. Yeah. And other places will take like cement and stuff, like really heavy stuff, and really solid stuff for like $5 a ton or something, something stupid cheap. Yeah. You just have to get it there. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the regular garbage that costs you more oh. in the end although uh yeah it depends where you're going depends where you're going yeah. like some places some places will take shingles as aggregate some places won't you'll pay an arm and a leg to get rid of a roof full of shingles because it's so heavy yeah when we moved into town i who knew that there was asbestos shingles um we had asbestos tile everybody was like oh you got a great slate roof yeah only to find out that was like cement and uh, asbestos yeah they used to make everything out of that shit yeah it was it was it was magic kind of like plastic is now and mm-hmm. now we're realizing that plastic is yeah. as wonderful as, as yeah, you know we, so we, we thought 10 years ago or 20 yeah. years ago even microplastics everywhere yeah the house i didn't buy in town had asbestos in it was that the one on kensington yeah yeah number 33 yeah i assume it's out now i don't know i drive by that place like when i get the chance i'll i'll turn down kensington instead of turning down uh yep elmsley just just out of curiosity because i almost bought that place but about a year after we didn't buy it somebody moved in and there was a dumpster in the driveway and looked like a big job too yeah. big for us we walked away well yeah and you you're in a neighborhood now with all sorts of new people yeah yeah good neighborhood we're no, very happy with the neighborhood I mean, kensington's a good neighborhood too but it's um I, I mean frankly i don't know really what's happening in kensington because i don't go there as often as i go I, well, I can see your house, so I, mm-hmm. I know what's happening there. Yeah. You know, you still got your Christmas decorations up. We do. Yeah. So you like most of the changes in the town. Any changes in the town you don't like? Anything you're unhappy about? Um, You know, I'm not really unhappy about anything, frankly. I mean... Well, you got to pick a lane. You said you're a curmudgeon. Oh, I am a curmudgeon. Wow. Um, uh, I, I mean, originally, I didn't really understand the plan- plans for the... Uh, you know, the parallel parking. Yeah. Now, now that it's actually there, 
I like being able to kind of pull in and not back out and hope not to hit somebody. That's yeah. That's, I yeah, like that too. That, that's a pretty awesome feeling. You know, you're, you're not backing up, like sitting there kind of like crossing your fingers. Oh, shit. Am I going to hit somebody yeah, today? I do that all the time. Cause we still got the angled parking on this, on yeah. this street, yeah. know, this building. And it, it really reminds me like, I don't have to think about that on the other streets anymore. Now I don't think about it as much here anyway, cause it's a quieter street, Yeah, which I think was the bigger problem on that street is, Busier, busier. I think the thing that I find that I struggle with the most is um, the fact, I mean, I'm not, I used to be on Facebook, um, the old face web. Yeah. Um, but I, I find it such a negative space. Very. Um, and, and people who don't get out and see what's happening kind of get down this hole where it's like I'm, I'm I find that frustrating. Yeah. Um, I think that that is a detraction from, you know, where the town is going because people kind of get in their minds what, um, what it should be. And then they kind of get down a rabbit hole without kind of going out and seeing what's happening or, you know, experiencing things, you know, it's a lot easier to kind of have these thought experiments without going out and experiencing it, kind of sitting there typing away and, you know, getting people excited about it and other people kind of join in without kind of, and I, and I, I, I struggle with the fact that, you know, there's less social interaction now um, than there was, you know, even 10 years ago. And where people would debate things, and now it's kind of, and I think this is across all society now. Yeah, you know, there, there there's no room for debate. It's you know, you, you pick a side, and yeah, um, and so I don't think it's it's just a Smith Falls thing. I think it's um, it, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere in our society now that you you pick a camp, and that's yeah. your camp, and the, that's I think where my comment was coming from in terms of miserable people. Yeah, it's like it's certainly not trying to describe everybody resistant to any kind of change as a miserable person, but that subset of people that just wants to complain about it and complain about it. I don't think they're complaining about the change. It's just, that's just a vehicle for their complaints. Yeah. And and I, I, I agree with that. I think one of the things that we've, we're losing is the ability to discuss. Um, and maybe, maybe it was never there. Um, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was totally there. I find myself mourning the death of the devil's advocate. Yeah. Well, I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm pretty center, if not center right. And I, I find it difficult sometimes, you know, the, the, the left is so far right that the right is left. And that, you yeah. know, the, there's parallels in the lot, lot, lack of freedom of speech. Um, do I agree with different people's ideas? generally sometimes like oftentimes i don't yeah but i think it's important to have that discussion to see what their point of view is um to maybe understand like the genesis of that idea yeah so that i can at least you know explain to someone else if they're not going to listen you know why they came up with that idea and maybe not even explain to somebody else but to understand myself yeah um and if people aren't willing to have that discussion and just say this is it or nothing else you know it it's um it polarizes yeah i see that i see that left and right yeah and it gets it's, for somebody like myself i find it extremely isolating because i find that when i when i interact and if if i go anywhere close to the realm of debate yeah. with people on the left they paint me as somebody far right far right yet if i go and talk to people on the right 
they they would paint me as somebody far left. Yeah. Because I don't agree with either of them. Yeah. Or I might agree with either one of them in certain cases, but if we're discussing something and trying to unpack ideas, I always feel tempted to just challenge them. Yeah. I might say the opposite. and It's not because I mean it. It's not because that's where I stand. It's not the hill I want to die on. It's, it's, it's the button I want to push. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and that, and that is, that is a dangerous thing. And sometimes pushing, pushing the button is, I, I kind of enjoy it. I do too. I love um, pushing buttons. And you know, you're, you're the asshole. And it's like, well, I, I didn't really mean that. I just, you know, I, I, th- I thought it was, we were having a discussion and I so now I'm an asshole. That's fine. But at the end of the day, I think people have to kind of relax their, uh, their points of view and listen to other people a little bit more. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and, and again, I don't think it's, it's something that's just in our town. I think it's, you know, across the diaspora. No, definitely not localized to this yeah. town. That's yeah. A, I mean, a, you're going to get your commodities, people who are disappointed and um, frustrated everywhere. Um, and I think that, you know, 15 years ago, there wasn't a vehicle um, like Facebook mm-hmm. uh, where your interactions could kind of just, take you into a realm where you're suddenly with a hundred people with the same viewpoint where you're not experiencing kind of going out to a bar where you've got, you know, 10 different people with 10 different points of view where, you know, you're, you're having a beer and discussing it. You're just kind of, you've got other people to go down your, your ideology and there's no, no kind of counterpoint or counterbalance that. Well, there used to be etiquette towards like starting up a political discussion. There used to be some level of etiquette. Yeah. You know, back in the day, it would have been, you know, who would like to join me for a, a smoke in the study and a debate on politics? Yeah. That etiquette of, you know, this is what we're doing now. So step into the room ready to n- not want to punch somebody in the face the first time they say something you don't agree with. Well, I think that, and that may be a bit simplistic because, you know, if, if you were in the, the Lee Tavern, um, which I was recently, and I, I kind of sat there thinking, you know, this is, this is the time I'm going to get punched in the face just for being at a bar. But it, when, when the Rideau Hotel and the Russell were open, I think, you know, debates would end up in fisticuffs. Yeah. Um, but there was an understanding that that would happen. Right. Um, and there was kind of, you know, as, as blunt as it was, it was a medium to get your ideas across. And, yeah. um, you know, you, you, you'd listen because otherwise you, you gotta have a broken nose. Yeah. And I think, I think outside of Facebook, that's even another thing that's happened over the years is, that people aren't as afraid of getting punched in the face anymore. Well, because you don't get punched in the face. No, because you'll you'll you know you'll wind up in jail because you punch somebody in the face after they screamed in your face in a bar. You know, in the in the seventies or eighties, if you were in a bar, and you screamed in somebody's face and said something about their mom, you'd probably get decked. Yeah, and nobody would call the cops, and if anybody did, they'd hear the story. And they'd say, well, it sounds like you had it coming. Yeah. But now you'll get thrown in jail for assault. Yeah. Or sued in civil court. Yeah. And people don't walk around with that fear anymore. And not that I'm pro-violence. Yeah. Because I'm not. But you ever been punched in the face? Yeah. Yeah. See, I've been punched in the face. I had uh, some black eyes. I had some explaining to do for that one. Yeah. You know, I was mooning a guy and um, somebody else punched me in the face and I deserved it, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why was I mooning that guy? I have no idea. Yeah. 
And I think made that, no sense. I think that that process of understanding that that can happen in the world, yeah, uh, keeps a lot of people in check. Yeah, and we've lost that, well, and people have lost that that checkpoint. Well, and the other thing is that it's easy to hide behind Facebook. It's easy to hide behind um, where you're never going to see somebody in person. Even even if it is the shame of just being like, shit, that guy's looking yeah. at me. He he knows that I fucked up. Yeah. Because I, I think they're, you know, the, I certainly feel that shame sometimes when I see somebody and I know that I fucked up. You know, you, yeah. you, you kind of, you kind of want to hide like in your shirt. But if, if you're not going outside and you're just sitting there on your, on your computer and your cell phone and you're sending these shots off in the dark, there's no repercussions. Mm -hmm. And I think we've lost that social interaction that, that kind of limits our, um, and, and, and I don't know, I'm not a historian, but maybe somebody could say, you know, 30 years ago, this was the same situation. I mean, you look at what's happening with Trudeau now, things being thrown at him. They're saying, well, you know, his father faced worse than that um, in terms of, you know, protests on the scene, you know, after he, in the, in the early eighties, um, so I, I mean, I can't contextualize what has happened in the past, but from my own kind of anecdotal experience, I would have to say that, you know, Facebook has kind of been a polarizing, uh, Facebook and other social media. I mean, I don't, I don't really understand the rest of social media. Yeah. I was kind of there for the advent of, of Facebook and I don't really use it anymore, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I, th I think that has really kind of become a polarizing medium. I left Facebook myself. Um, I'm back on it now. I rejoined it part, part way through COVID. I went back on Facebook because I was just hungry for some level of social interaction, even if it w was virtual. Yeah. But I went off it, the same reasons. It was just too much polarization, too much, too much negative. So everybody knows the score. Everybody knows that fucking bullshit on Facebook. Everybody knows it, whether they stay on Facebook or not. They know what I'm talking about. Like I didn't have the 5,000 friends that some people do hitting the limit, but like I had close to a thousand, like more than I'd say your average, just sort of general, I add my friends and family kind of Facebook account. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, I'm learning about, I'm, I'm hearing about like people's lives. It's like, I met this person at a show in San Diego eight years ago when we chatted for five minutes. Yeah. We wound up fr friends on Facebook and somehow the algorithm, like I'm learning about their shit and I have not said two words to them since that time I met them. Yeah. I went through it. I just deleted everybody. But I mean, I, I, I'm on the Facebook and I think I have about a thousand people, yeah. but I don't have the bandwidth anymore. You know, you're, you're busy in your own life. You're busy in your children's life. Um, and we're in a neighborhood that we're pretty fortunate in, in that we can have discussions with, with our neighbors. Yeah. And, and, and I, I do appreciate that about living in a small town is, you know, your neighbor, you, you appreciate who they are and where they've come from yeah. and you can stop and talk to people still. Yeah. Um, I kind of go to my in-laws place in the suburbs of Ottawa and I don't get that feeling. Maybe it's just that, you know, I've grown up here and I have a different um, understanding of, or not a different understanding, but a different comfort level. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, in everybody interacts in a different way in Ottawa because they're all working in different like places in, in the city and they come back to the same one. Whereas, you know, I spend quite a bit of my day talking to the same people that I'm living in the, in the same area with. I don't think it's just growing up here because I notice it. Yeah. I grew up in Ottawa 
And the difference for me is to a certain extent, it's just, it's you're, you're forced into that situation in a smaller yeah. town because you, you interact with fewer people. Yeah. But the flip side of that, you know, in a positive way, it, I think is that, it, I mean, it comes, I think it comes down to investment, right? I don't like talking to strangers personally that yeah. I'm never going to see again. Not usually, sometimes if they're quirky and interesting enough, I'll, I'll, I'll take on that experience, especially if I think it's going to mean a good story. Yeah. But just everyday chit chat and small, small talk that isn't exciting or outlandish or, or that kind of thing in a big city to me is, feels like a waste of time. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, on, on my walk home tonight, I saw you know, two podcasts ago, Jordan, who was on, I saw yeah. him on the street with his fiance and, and I talked to them for 30 seconds. Yeah. I wouldn't do that in Ottawa. Growing up in Ottawa, I never did that because it's, I, I could do that and it might be nice, but then I'm never going to see that person again. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no reason to invest that time for me. Yeah, Whereas yeah. I can take that 30 seconds and that, 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 because it was somebody I know and somebody who lives near me and somebody I know I'm probably going to see tomorrow or next week, there's, I'm upkeeping a friendship. Yeah. Well, you know? I mean, the, you, and the other thing is you're sharing experience, right? Mm -hmm. You're moving forward in life with these people. And, yeah. and what's the point of being an asshole to them? Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's nice to have that, again, that, going back to the comfort of knowing um, who you're around and, like, understanding that you're enjoying or experiencing a similar thing at the same time and that you guys have different points that are in common together so that you have a different, um, different talking points mm -hmm. and, and a shared experience again. And I mean, I know that one of the reasons we chose Smith Falls, one of the reasons we chose to move to a small town in general is we actually, we decided, we made the conscious decision that that dynamic is what we wanted, Yeah, you know? Um, but it, that's not necessarily going to be true for everybody moving to town. Do you think that puts that, that phenomenon in, a, in, in this town at risk at all? Do you, do you see people who, who, you know, they, they don't look at you, they don't, ask you how you're doing they don't uh they don't do you feel like this town's getting colder for it no um and i'm i'm actually finding the opposite you know as as the longer i live back in smith falls and now you know i'm i've been back for nine years um there are those those common points that i now have with um people that i wouldn't have had otherwise living this in the same streets you know even if it's to com complain about the guy working on his car on saturday morning and swearing um with your when your kids are around you've got that 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 point in common so over time your relationships um become closer because you've got you've got more to talk about and you've got more shared experiences and and memories to relive together mm -hmm. Um, that makes it, um, and, and again, the longer that I've lived here, like back, um, since I moved back here, I'm finding that it's, it's one of those things that I enjoy, um, is especially with new people bringing new perspectives. Um, so maybe, maybe I'm not as much of a curmudgeon as I think, but I, I do enjoy, I, I like how when I moved back to Smith Falls in 2012, you know, there was this pessimism like this. It was palpable. You could feel it. Um, and some people disagree with me, and, and that's that's fair. Um, but there is an energy in Smith Falls um, that I think living here, 
and not, you know, not living outside Smith Falls, but actually living in Smith Falls that, you know, I feel, and, and, and I'm happy to see kind of all of these other families and um, new people come and essentially share their experience and share their, like their lives with us mm-hmm. or with me, you know, it's just one. And then, you know, um, I was on the fire department for a few years um, and it was just this, this whole other aspect of life. So I, I grew up with people and, you know, um, it, it was this closeness that, that I really appreciated. You're there for the best moments mm-hmm. um, in my other professional capacity. And then you're there for the worst moments. And it's this closeness that I, I really appreciate um, because it's almost like to a certain extent, extent um, an extended family. Yeah. Because again, um, you're going through the same things. You're seeing the same changes. You're, for the most part, trying to to adapt to it with other people at the same time. And, you know, could I appreciate people that didn't want um, parallel parking? Yeah. Was it in the end? Do I think it was, it was a good movie? Yeah. I mean, the odd Saturday morning when I'm trying to drop something off at Thrifty's, do I get annoyed that I have to go around the block an extra time? Yeah. I mean, I'm the guy that goes to uh, garden markets, so I don't have to stop at any lights. So, you know, I'm yeah. all about convenience. When they took out the Confederation Bridge, I was pissed off because yeah. now, now I, there's no shortcut around the, uh, the bridge being turned. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you just, you get over these things. Yeah. And they're really small. Yeah. Uh, the fact that I got pissed off that, you know, the Confederation Bridge was taken away was you know, it's pretty minor. The fact that I, I had to go around an extra block to, to drop stuff off thrifties, you know, insignificant. Yeah. Yeah. What else would you like to see change, whether it's on the docket or not, whether it's on the plans or not? What do you think this town needs most for uh, its future? I, th- I think the town um, has to adapt and be a little bit more dynamic in where it's going. Um, you know, I, we're, you know, this is kind of a, a once in a lifetime, um, boom that we're in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, I'm what I get frustrated because I sometimes see other municipalities around here adapting to things faster than we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I, I think by and large, a, a good, like people have done a very good job given the resources that we have. And we have to understand that um, nothing is perfect. And, you know, you're always going to take, again, I don't want to be one of those negative people because I don't see everything that's going through um, like people's desks. Mm-hmm. You know, I see from my perspective and my perspective is very limited um very limited insight into what, what other people are going through. Um, I, I think the coolest thing is just this kind of renewal. Um, again, this kind of expression of not expression of hope, but feeling of hope Mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm really enjoying and this kind of renewed sense of community. Um, and, and I, I hope that this continues, and I know that there's going to be more bumps on the road in my life. I mean, we've, I think you and I are the same generation. We've been very fortunate in that, um, you know, we've only had some very minor downturns. Mm-hmm. Um, we will have those. And I think it's important that when, when they come, the bigger downturns that, that we still remain a community and that we don't, um, we don't become fractious and, and fight over small differences when we should just kind of rally together and stay together. Yeah. I think, 
I think that this town, that communities, even as much as some people don't disagree, um, what unites them is that, you know, whether they're pro angled parking or, or anti confederation bridge closing or, or whatever the issue is at hand and wherever, whatever side you fall on it, the common ground is that you care about the town. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that's one important thing people can remind themselves of. It's like, we're just, you know, we may not necessarily agree with this plan or that plan, but we're both people who want the town to do as well as possible from a community driven standpoint. Yeah. And so that's, that's not even the issue to me because, because things will sort themselves out in terms of those, you know, people will realize, oh yeah, you know, it wasn't that big a deal. I had to drive around the block. I, you know, you know what we're doing so well in this town that, that, that the parking spots are full in front of the shops that people are shopping in and, and that's paying people's wages. And so if I have to take 15 seconds longer to walk a parking spot and walk half a block further, that's good for my health anyway, then so be it. But the, I think the bigger threat to me is that, as you mentioned, like in terms of a tra- trajectory and, and, and adapting to change is I often feel like we don't necessarily have that much of a plan in this town. Yeah. I, I, well, I think that that may be true about, um, it, you know, municipalities in general, you know, every four years a new group is elected um, mm-hmm. and, and there are, there are changes that are significant in the direction every four years. I mean, there's no, you know, if, four years ago, there was not going, like, they were keeping um, angled parking. Mm-hmm. You know, three years ago, they weren't. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, I, I think the other thing is, you know, there, there is no common um, direction because you have these oscillations um, between points of view every kind of four years that it maybe in the past stayed more stayed more in line but i mean there were there was periods of inaction for you know 20 or 30 years mm-hmm. where where things didn't advance but that wasn't uh, emblematic of just smith falls i mean it was uh, emblematic of kind of the economy as a whole yeah and like you said we're we're at this we're at this point where it's a once in a lifetime chance right so i mean I, I, it's not that I disagree with the actions being taken. I do agree with them because they need to get done. The street yeah. needs to get fixed. The bridge needs to get fixed. So the water tower needs to get fixed. We're I mean, the fact is we're just we're a town that got run down a little bit, you yeah. know. And, uh, so we, we got to fix it up. But I, but I think one of, one of the things that's also changed is is, is you're looking at the um, professionalization of different services. So you used to find that a lot of the employees for the town would actually live in the town. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true to a certain extent still, but you're, you, you see a lot of um, the people that may not be invested um, in the town because they don't live here. And, mm-hmm. you know, once they've retired, they're not coming back. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I live and work here um, and I actually, and, and I, I think one, one of the things that I, I'm hoping for is that um, people who run for municipal politics will actually live in Smith Falls. Yeah, I know that uh, the the we have three three municipal politicians who 
who whose lives have revolved around Smith's Falls, I think it's also important, and maybe this is um, the wrong thing to say, but I think it's important that they 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 live here. I know their whole lives are here, um, but I, I think it's important to kind of wake up and look at your door and yeah, um, because you know you you appreciate it um, that much more. But the other thing is the the difficult thing with being a politician now is you've got Facebook and people are, you know, they're hiding behind Facebook to attack you. So, you know, you got to give everybody prompts for, for running. Yeah. I guess even if they don't live in Smith Falls, but I do think that, um, I, I, and I, you know, I, I have no real right answers or wrong answers, but how, how do you make sure that there is a, a concentrated, you know, path forwards? I don't know. My biggest fear is that, I mean, you, you, Smith Falls has, has, has gone through a lot over the years and it was Hershey town and yep. this was open. This was, this was closed. The population though has remained eerily constant. Yep. You know, there's been drops and people have moved out of town after Hershey's and whatnot, but not a lot of growth. No. And now we're seeing growth and we're also at the point for the first time ever in Smith Falls history where it's a commuter town for Ottawa. Yeah. It's a bedroom community. And yeah. that's the danger to me. It's a double-edged sword because it, it's it's securing the financial future of the town. People yeah. will live here. People will move here. The housing market will remain strong. Um, and, and, and even if, you know, if Canopy closes, that won't be the end of the world. It's because it's not what's driving this town anymore. Proximity to Ottawa is well, at I, this I, point. I think going back to the, the comment about being, you know, in Ottawa, um, in when I go to my in-laws place and it's not, not a comfortable feeling necessarily yeah. being in their subdivision is that, you know, everybody like they come back to the same spot, but they're going far away during the day. Yeah. Um, and there's, again, they're not living and breathing. So, and, and I think that's a, a factor that's outside of, of really our control, but I guess how do we control keeping these different vibrant and um, vibrant businesses in town so that we have that uh, a focal point that brings everybody together and yeah. and so we're not becoming a suburb. Well, I think I think that's where I'm yeah. going. I think is I think it is in our control, especially at this point before yeah. it gets too far. You know, if five years from now we're Barhaven Part Two, I mean, there's no there's no there's no steering that ship I back. Think, I think know? that's a brilliant point. Point, I, but I've I've never turned my mind to how I, I mean. I guess to a certain extent in 2012 when Nick and I were sitting, let's start a brewery that was kind of, let's create jobs in Smith Falls. Yep. But um, since then it's, it's, I haven't really turned my mind to that. Um, but I think that's a great thought experiment. Like how, how do we, we move to keep um, our local economy um, local Yeah, and not I mean, people go to tourism yep. and that's, that's a good, that's a good one for yep. sure. And I think it's a, an important element, but the Rito's long. The Rito Lake system is long. Laboat could move somewhere else. There's other locks. So there's, there's other points along the canal. You know, Merrickville has has established. You want to go antiquing? Go to fucking Merrickville. You know. But I think uh, like one of the things that's changed in Smith Falls. You know, you've you've got 
um, like Dan and Angie Hoisted, who've opened Valley Custom Cutting. Yep. There's this turn to local. So, you know, in the in the 40s, 50s, like even before then, when you'd have your green grocers, your local purveyors of uh, goods. Um, and I think it's important that we support those yep. those businesses. I mean, I, I, I look at a lot of people um, and they go to Costco and I'm like, look at what I got at Costco. Yeah. Um, you know, the cost isn't that much different to stay home. And if you factor in the the price of traveling to Costco, yeah, you're actually better off. I, I, I think that's, and, and that's not a political thing. That's just kind of an awareness thing. Yeah. Gas, um, your gas, time. Yeah, exactly. Wear and tear on your vehicle. A hundred percent. Opportunity costs that you could have been at home playing with your daughters. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and one of the other things that I like about, you know, just having local shops is that Again, you yeah you have somebody that you're you're sharing life with, yeah. Um, you know you're going through similar experiences. You've got kids, or you you've got people in common to talk about. I mean, sometimes I need to hide away from that, but sometimes you you kind of crave that too. Mm-hmm. The last real heavy plan I heard in this town was a couple of years ago. It got pre- publicly presented. I can't say I agreed with it too much myself. The cannabis tourism plan yeah yeah i I mean i i think we put a lot of emphasis on tourism and i think bringing it back what what economy will in we we have to look at ourselves and and be able to support local um you know it's fine and, and dandy to to kind of support these tourism initiatives um, but at the end of the day, they don't tend to bring as much money into the community as, for example, if we we all decided to like stop our trips to Costco and focus on, um, you know, spending an extra couple dollars here and there on local things. And um, so, yeah, I, I think maybe my 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 comments as a vis a vis local politicians being local, I think that that's probably maligned. And I think you know more more than anything, we should actually focus on. And, and you bring up a good point. We should all focus on our own efforts to make sure that we're shopping local mm-hmm. um, and focus on growing that economy. You know, and one of the things that drives me nuts is people are like, well, you know, you can't get anything in Smith Falls. Well, if you're actually paying attention, you can pretty much get everything you want. You've got yep. um, the, you know, you've got all these cool little shops going in on Russell. Um, you've got all these like, sandwich or not sandwich places, but you've got say two bakery. Um, you've also got, um, you know, Trish Crocky and, and her, her places. Um, you know, she's very good at, uh, running that place by the park, which is great for the kids. You know, we go paddle boarding and stop off for an ice cream afterwards. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that we make sure that we support these people, um, because in turn they support us. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that entirely. The one thing I think is perhaps missing from that is that any small town needs that. Yeah. Every small town needs that. So it's almost, to me, that's almost, it's, it's hugely important as is breathing. Yeah. You know, but that both are sort of a given, you know? And and I think the other thing is, you know, we we can't beat each other up. Um, So for example, um, we, we look at, brewery or not breweries but we look at bars and people are like oh you know that bar is not good it 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 may not be good for you but it's good for somebody else we we can't we have to be more positive about our local space and supportive of of other people it may not be necessarily what we want to do but let's not shit talk that let's kind of you know give them their space 
Yeah. I think there's a lot of power in just being able to say, that ain't my thing. Yeah. But if it's your thing, that's where you should go. Yeah, absolutely. That's the place you want to go if that's your thing. Ain't my thing, but go there if it's your thing. But even beyond that, I feel like the icing on the cake, this is just me pontificating. Yeah. But I feel like the icing on the cake is perhaps establishing a cultural identity for a town. Yeah. You know, Stratford's got it made with theater. You want theater, you go to fucking Stratford, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the coolest things that's happened the last couple of years is Bowie's. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is having a space, and and not because it's you, um, and Amber, but having this, like, a space for my kids to learn music. I mean, when I was taking music lessons as kind of a four-year-old, yeah, I was learning how to p- play piano, and... I hated it. You know, you had to have your hands looking like a certain way. I had to remember which hand was left. Well, I'm not that bright. I can't figure out what fucking hand my, you know, is left. Yeah. Um, and, and so at the end of the day, I, I, I used to ignore, like I'd walk by my music teacher's house because I didn't fucking want to go. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think this is something that we can expose our kids to that wasn't here before. Um, and having a place like Bowie's, um, you know, and, and the tap house where they've got live music, um, sometimes, um, is, is great. And, 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 you know, you've, you've still got, um, the heart and soul of Smith's Falls. You still have your, your Rob Roy's, for example, my dad goes there when not in COVID every Thursday night. And you've still got those places that, yeah. that cater to, um, the generations that have gone there. And then you've got places like the tap house and, um, Bowie's, um, serving something, uh, different and slightly different, um, from what we've had in the past. I think, yeah, a cultural identity is important. Having a place where people learn to play music. I mean, you, you look at, and I'm sorry, most of my analogies are sports. Um, but you look at where all the, like a lot of the professional athletes come out of it. It's, yeah. it's just small centers. So I mean, yep. like professional rugby players in England come from a few small, like yeah. development centers. Yeah. And it's not like they've got a larger population base. They've just got more skill in an area. And if, you know, if we've got more musicians that have moved to Smith Falls, we've got more of a cultural identity as such. I mean, who would have thought that we would have illusionist in Smith Falls, yeah. you know, that, that cared about the fabric of society here yeah. um, and musicians that have come and are willing to kind of teach and um, apply their trade here. It kind of begets more people to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I don't really understand music. Um, I like to listen to it. Um, but it's important that there's a skill set that maybe my kids have, mm-hmm. um, that I can't teach them because I don't have that skill set and I didn't learn it because I was walking by, yeah. uh, that, that house on, uh, Glen Avenue when I was four years old because yeah. I didn't want to hold my hands a certain way and I couldn't remember which hand was fucking left. Yeah. But on that, uh, on that level of cultural identity, you don't, you know, you don't have to have the skill set as long as it's something you appreciate yeah. as you do, you know, cause you can still take part. You know, anything, any industry needs its its providers and its consumers. Yeah, and I think one thing that, that I didn't have growing up was that we didn't have a theater. You know, the, the theater was the advent of uh, a couple diligent and kind of, or diligent people who wanted to bring that that aspect of, of life from the city to a small town. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important you know, that's something that has become a thing too. And you, you, you've seen it over the past couple of years. It's become 
um, better and better until, you know, and, and it will get better again once, you know, it's open. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think these things lend themselves well also to creating a community because again, you have different experiences that you're sharing with other people that you're living around. Um, even if people are living in Ottawa, they're coming back to doing the same activities and they're, you know, they've got another point of contact other than yeah. passing each other in the grocery store. Yeah. Oh, I saw that guy at the theater. I'll say hi. Um, yeah. I saw him at the bar. I saw him at the bar a couple of times. I'll say hi again. Yeah. So. See, I, I like the, I like the point you're making. Cause that, that would be my plan. That yeah. would be my plan. If I, if it were my job, which it's not, and yeah. I'm biased obviously, cause I'm a musician. Yeah. But I would aim to make this a music town. You see, I'm not a musician. And one of the things that I wanted to do um, and I probably will turn my mind to it later is I would like to start a rowing club. Yeah. Um, because I'm passionate about rowing. I love the sport. I, I love, um, the competition, but I, I mean, maybe in my lifetime, I will, uh, you know, it would depends on what my kids are interested in. Um, uh, if they're interested in music, I'll probably get more interested in music. Um, if they're interested in swimming, I'll get more interested in swimming. You know, I, th- I think right now it's, it's kind of, for me, it's changing, you know, my, it's not so much about me as it is about my kids now. Yep. Um, and making sure that they have tools that, and I think I had a lot of tools. Um, but Smith Falls growing up was, for me, was a very hockey oriented town. Mm-hmm. Do I like hockey? I love hockey. Um, but it had a time and its place. And I think, you know, as much as I like to skate, um, there's other things that I'd rather do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that changing or to a certain extent, Smith Falls is changing away from that into kind of a, a more varied, um, environment in terms of not only sports, it's also, you know, the arts. Mm -hmm. I think music could work. Yeah. I think, I think think it'd work, frankly, I don't mean to be shitting on whoever came up with the cannabis plan. But I think it'd work a lot better than the cannabis plan. I think so. I mean, I mean, you have what? What is it in Wakefield? You've got the um, the black sheep. The black sheep. I mean, yeah. it's it's a, a focal point of people going to a certain place. Yeah. You know, I, I think we're doing that to a certain extent. I mean, the summer I went and I saw your wife Amber play. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the girl's name. She was a terrific talent. Uh, Mad and Grace. <laughs> yes, her. Um, and, and I was kind of blown away. You know, a couple of years ago, I was sitting in Bowie's and I had spent the afternoon eating, I think, um, you know, olives and a charcuterie with some some random guy and his name ended up being Tiz McNamara. Yeah. And he start, he opens his mouth and you're like, shit, this is, this is, this is fucking incredible. This can't be Smith Falls. Yeah. Um, and suddenly you're like, I, I never would have been exposed to that. Um, but for the fact that I was like, shit, I'll, you know, I'll come and watch whoever this is. I'm, yeah. You know, my neighbor is playing first. And then when he started playing, I was like, holy shit, this guy's incredible. Yeah. Um, and then when, sorry, Madden, Madden Grace? Yeah. When she was playing, I was like, fuck, this, this is, she's coming from town. Like, this yeah. is, this is, this is mind blowing. Yeah. Um, and then you're kind of like, oh, cool. You know, I, I know her, her father, her mother. I went to school with her mother. Her father was a couple years older. Her uncle is, you know, a close family f- uh, friend, he sits across the aisle from us in our our little church. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, it kind of it, it's this you know warming feeling that yeah, somebody yeah. is 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 kind of doing something that's kind of awesome. Yeah, I think music's the ticket ticket for this town. Myself, like I said, I'm biased, but I walk I drive through Perth. Yeah, and one thing we always see, like 
I, I love Perth. My grandma lives in Perth. My still living grandmother, yep. 95, lives in Perth. And so I'm there a fair amount and I drive through Perth to get to my cottage. And we considered moving to Perth, but the prices were a little higher than we wanted to pay before we yep. came to Smith Falls. One thing we always notice how like the amount of shops, the amount of people bustling downtown, yeah. there's there's gift shops, there's clothing clothing shops, there's diners, there's art galleries, there's there's you name it. And the downtown core is really nice. It is really, really nice. And they've done a great job of keeping that up. For us to try and get there, I'm not saying it's impossible, but like, you know, we're still fixing the roads, we're still fixing the bridges, we're still fixing the parking. Comparatively, the town's a little run down. Yep. It's been a blue collar town for a long time, but music doesn't give a shit about that. But I think music cool thrives in those towns. Hamilton. But uh, but I think one of the cool things is the grit. It kind of adds to that like Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Gritty towns are music towns. Winnipeg, yeah. Detroit, New York, gritty towns love music where, 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 it you, works. where you experience everything yeah yeah i mean i think one of the the blessings that i had was you know i went to duncan j school or school growing up um and my life experience or my social construct was very different from and i'm not trying to be a douchebag but my social construct was very different from a lot of the people that i was sitting in class with yeah um, but I was very fortunate to have that opportunity to grow up with that as opposed to some school in a suburbia in Ottawa where everybody's from, you know, you know, double income families, mm -hmm. you know, same, same backgrounds, same direction. Um, because you, you get to the point where you understand that not everybody has the same opportunity you do. Um, and you grow up in and in knowing that, you're blessed because of who your parents are and what they've done, not necessarily what you've done. Um, and I think that's one of the, one of the fortunate things that we have. And we, you know, one of the nice things about Smith Falls is everybody's equal, mm -hmm. or at least I think so. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong and, you know, people will tell me that and that's fine. Um, but I think that, you know, everybody's not afraid to talk to each other. Um, and there, there is no kind of social stigma in terms of stratification of, um, you know, society i would agree with that at least for the most part yeah that's what i see again i could be i could be wrong and somebody's welcome yeah. to point that out to me and i'll listen yeah i mean i'm happy to, for somebody to tell me i'm wrong because i probably am wrong mm -hmm. you know the, it's it's funny when you you kind of go to university and you're like the smartest people i know in my class they, they may be the smartest person in class but they suck at life mm -hmm. um and then you you come to a small town and then you realize that the smartest people are the people that, um, know what they're doing and have a direction. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always find that, that fascinating seeing, um, people who've done incredibly well because they understand things you know, they may not be as book smart as some of those people yeah. I saw in class, but they're more brilliant than anybody else appreciates. Mm -hmm. Direction's important. For sure. That's why I brought up the previous point about the town. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder about the direction of this town, where it's going to go. You know, we don't, uh, it's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to choose. I moved to, uh, 10 years ago, I moved to Chatham. And at that time, Amber and I were, that's when Amber and I were first thinking about like, let's like live in a smaller place that has a better sense of community. And their plans just weren't working. Yeah. You know, they had just built a huge theater and they had totally rebranded the town as arts. That was, they were going to go for arts. Yeah. 
none of the laid off auto workers or none, none of the struggling farmers in town give a shit about anybody trying to give them an arts based agenda. And it just didn't fly. Yeah. Just didn't fly at all. They, they pushed it for a good year and a half and it just it fizzled out. Didn't, didn't take hold. But I think some of it has to be organic too, right? Yep. Um, you know, when, when you guys moved here, did anybody say other, like, you should move here because this is what we're going for? No. Yeah. So, I, no. I, I mean, I, I think when you get kind of a, a core, it kind of develops, you know, a stronger presence. And from that core, even, it, again, going back to it, you know, I never thought that there would be, you know, like three full-time musicians just in my neighborhood. Yeah. That, um, let alone kind of like multiple families across town and, you know, multiple families in different aspects of performing arts. Yeah. Um, that just was never Smith Falls. Yeah. Smith Falls was, um, a rough and tumble town, like a railway town, a blue collar town to a certain extent. Um, and I think one of the things that surprised me was when I first got to university, I told somebody I was from Smith Falls and they're like, good for you. Good for getting out of Smith Falls. And my response was like, go fuck yourself. Yeah. You know, th there's nothing wrong with Smith Falls. Smith Falls is a great place to grow up. Yeah. Um, you know, like go fuck yourself. You're, you're, you're from like, I don't know, um, Canada, you know, that's that, that, that uh, and not to disrespect anybody from Canada, but I would hate to like have grown up beside everybody that had everything the same as I did. Yeah. Uh, how do you learn anything? Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about lack of cultural identity, places like that—that's for me. Again, yeah. somebody. Well, I'm I'm happy to hear somebody tell me why I'm wrong. I did two years of my growing up in Canada. Now that, and I think back then it had more of an identity because it hadn't exploded yet. Yeah. They hadn't built the Corel Center yet, as it was called when they first built. No, what was it palladium. called? The Palladium. The Palladium. I had a Palladium you jean could, jacket. You could spend ten thousand dollars and buy the P from the Palladium. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I I live. I went to Stittsville Public School and lived on the outskirts of Canada on Fernbank Road, which is now just a giant development. Yeah. Um. But. Uh, Barhaven and just those, those suburbs. I mean, I lived in a few different suburbs and nice, nice places to yeah. grow up. But, uh, in terms of a, they're not challenging. They're not, you're not learning somebody like something from somebody else's, you know, life experiences that aren't the same as your own. And I think that the problem that I, I don't want to come across as is, um, kind of, kind of a, a dickhead but you know i'm very fortunate to have grown up in this town mm -hmm. i'm you know and i think a lot of people are very fortunate you know my sister uh, who works for the un is very fortunate because she's grown up in a in a in a, a town where she's able to identify with everybody and in a professional capacity she can identify with people from every walk of life which is important and there's that 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 common I guess that, that I guess ease with, with everybody that, you know, it doesn't matter if the person is wealthy or poor, it doesn't matter to you. Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, that's a very important thing that, that people from Smith Falls have had. And, you know, you look at a lot of the people who've done well from Smith Falls, you know, we have a guy that um, is an animator with Disney who's got his PhD living in Zurich. His name is Derek Bradley. And I mean, 
he wouldn't have necessarily had these opportunities had he not lived here and um, had the you know, the attention that he got based on what he wanted to do. So if you, if you were trying to convince somebody to move to Smith's Falls and you had 30 seconds to do it, what would you tell them? See, I usually do a shitty job at this because, yeah. you know, I was on the doctor recruitment thing. And I was like, come on, you know, you want to. Um, I, it, it, it's a place that's going to be home. It's not going to be a house. It's going to be home. It's where you live, where you, where you will um, experience like your life. You will bring up your children if that's something you want to do with people that may not be like-minded, but they will be there for you and they will make sure that you're okay. And I think um, to a certain extent, you'll be part of, of their lives and part of their community. Um, but again, I've, when I'm trying to recruit people to move to Smith Falls, I, I, I trip over my tongue and um, do a shitty job trying to get them to move here. So it's, I think it's best to let the town speak for itself. Well, I think you did an okay job of it there. And maybe, maybe we've covered this already, but what do you think the people in the town now need to do to make sure that what you just said stays true? I think we have to focus on being there for each other. Um, and, and if, you know, supporting like people like Dan Angie, Hoisted, Trish, Trish Crocky, you know, Amy Rensby, local businesses that contribute enormously to our local economy that we're, um, you know, Bowie's, you know, the tap house, that we allow these businesses to grow and flourish as opposed to saying, well, shit, let's, let's, let's go into Ottawa and eat at um, a chain restaurant like Montana's. Let's, let's actually go to Chuckles Jack um, mm -hmm. and enjoy that. See what that's like, you know, before, before we take this step and go into city and it's great. Let's, you know, do that too. But, also be cognizant of the people that you're supporting are the people that um, your kids are going to go to school with mm -hmm. um, that you are going to smile at when you're at the grocery store, that you're going to have these shared uh, common experiences that uh, again, allow your community to be more like family. So, and I, and I think that's, that's something that we have to focus on. The Smith falls family. Yeah. Yeah. Like make it happen. Maybe that's our maybe that's our marketing plan for the town. Yeah. Come here and raise your family. Yeah. Great place to grow up. It is. That's one of the reasons I came. I love the fact that my son can run around the neighborhood and ring doorbells. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there are a ton of young kids in our in our area. Um but the other thing is, you know, we we're fortunate to have great teaching staff. I look at this staff at Duncan Jay and how loving and caring they are to the kids. You know, my daughter split her eye open and you know when I, I saw the teacher looking at my daughter and, you know, how she cared for her mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of the love and the appreciation that I had for that lady in that moment, um, it kind of made everything okay. You know, your daughter is like bleeding and she's going to have a scar, which will, you know, but it's not mine or not major. And, um, you know, you, I loved that moment. That was a moment that, you know, I, I was like, this is the reason I moved back and I'm so glad I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming out. Thanks for having me. This was yeah, fun. We're going to wrap it up. Okay. I think, I think that's a good note Done. to end it on. No, th thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Andrew Howard, everybody. 
And that was my chat with Mr. Andrew Howard. And what a pleasure it was to sit down and and get a slice of his time like that, because Andrew has been my lawyer, my neighbor, and my friend for a while now. But it's he's so busy that it's it's very rare that I get to get a slice of his time like that and get to chat with him. That's the longest I've ever talked to him. So I milked it for all it was worth. That was a that was a that was a good one. Thanks for staying with us there, folks. It's so good to have you here with us and, and, and getting to know people from the town, getting to know me, and I'd like to get to know you, too. So check us out on social media. We got a Facebook. We got an Instagram. Check us out on our website, sfon.ca. And thanks again to our sponsors for supporting the show. We've had some many good sponsors over our seven episodes so far. Big shout out to this episode sponsors again, northwoodmusic.ca. Go check out a local record label, folks, northwoodmusic.ca. And go down to the Arts Hub, 14 Main Street West, right beside Lotus House, best Chinese food in town. So go down to the Arts Hub, get some art, and you know, go get some Chinese food on your way out. Support local. Support local, folks. Support local, not just with your wallets, but with your hearts. I'm Matt Connell, and this was Smith Falls On. See you next time. 